Good evening, and welcome to Nox Mente. Tonight's guest is Reverend Eric Arneson, magician and co-host of My Chemical Bromance Podcast. Eric, welcome to the show. Good welcome, evening, Eric. and welcome to Nox Mente. Hey, thanks, guys. It's, uh, it's uh, my alchemical bromance. You know, it's, uh, bad. it's a bad... Yeah, yeah. Hi. We like, we like things alchemical and bromantical, so it works. I like. Uh, oh, sorry. I like the really old picture of me that you guys uh, have up there. I'm I'm way grayer now. Uh, distinguished. You're more distinguished. Dis uh, yeah. Sorry. I'm way yes. more distinguished now. <laughs> but the mustache looks identical. But you still actually identical. look the same. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. yeah. Well, you know, it, it's hard to get rid of a mustache once you grow it. Indeed. It just keeps coming back. It's quite nice in person, I must say. Thanks. Thanks. You're welcome. Is it perky? I want. I do want to take a minute and say I love. Um, your podcast, and I think everyone should check it out. It's it's really great. Um, you always come with a little bit of humor too, but it's so educational. I just listened to the um, uh, the one you sent me, which is older actually, from Azoth Press, Miskatonic Books. Oh yeah, the one with Larry Roberts. Yeah, that um, was a that was oh. a really fun one. Oh my god, it was so great. Really educational and um, just great. I I love your podcast. I just want to give you that right away. Well, thank you. So Larry, he actually did something really cool, which I've never seen a podcast guest do since, which is that he brought notes. So like <laughs> when we ask questions, he would be like, he had something prepared, uh, which is probably why it was so educational as he, he, he wasn't just going from memory, which is pretty cool. Yeah. It, and that's, that was what was so juicy. I was just eating up all the alchemical talk that he was mm -hmm. um, bringing forth and the questions were intelligent. And also your questions came from a place of a layman, which is great because a lot of people don't understand the process. So whether or not you came from that naturally or were just playing the jester, it, it was good as a, a listener and someone who well, isn't alchemy. Yeah. Well, thank you. Thank you very much. I, I'm blushing on the internet. <laughs> yeah, but I see you. <laughs> Hello, everyone in the chat. Hi, Jerry. I've missed you. We haven't talked much. I know. You've been busy. I know. So I've been busy. Yes. We've all been busy. <laughs> this train is wiping me out, so I was having to work eight hours straight. Oh my goodness! The it's world. Bad for the, it's bad for the soul to work that much. <laughs> it's bad for my it's ass. That's for your back. monastic life. Yeah. yeah. <sighs> I'm gonna I'm gonna open this really tiny beer. Oh, ooh, nice. Wish I had a beer. I'm, I'm envious. So let's um let's get into the show. Noxente. Okay. Here we come. All right. So, ask me some tough questions. I'm ready for the tough ones. I'm, I'm gonna, gonna drill down, Eric. Are you a tranny? Gonna... No. <laughs> <laughs> If you are, I like you more. Um, okay, so do tell us about your life, um, your early life, and and the symbols, the things that stick out now that are real vivid, the things that you feel may have um, imprinted upon you, the person that you are now. Well, like all small birds, uh, I was hatched not being able to fly and i imprinted very strongly on the first bird that came along <laughs> um but in reality i, I mean my, my early life like that's that's a tough question i remember uh so my really early life like i had a pretty active imaginary life i didn't have any kids my age in the neighborhood when i was uh, super young and um so i had like imaginary friends and 
<clears throat> I remember one instance in particular where I was outside and it was, you know, probably fall or spring in in Oregon. So there were like mushrooms in the yard. And I remember thinking like, oh my God, these mushrooms are building a little tiny city. That's a strong memory from my early days, I guess. Oh, I love um, that. Yeah, I, I remember in particular, the thing that really convinced me is that I found this little cluster of like three tiny mushrooms that I thought looked like a television camera. And I was like, oh my God, the mushrooms have television. So oh. I don't <laughs> think it was true. Where's Papa Smurf? Uh, yeah. Uh, that was, I think, before I'd ever seen the Smurfs. Um, I think that we still had a black and white television and I'm not sure I'd, I'd be, I'm not sure that the Smurfs were on TV yet, but. Oh wait, um, pump, pump the brake here. So you had a, you were in the days of black and white televisions? Well, I mean, when you say I mean, I know you you're not old enough for that. Days but of black and white did. televisions. I think it would yeah. be more accurate to say that my parents didn't buy us a color television. We had a yeah. black and white television that was very old and had been around for a long time, and it it died before I was. It died probably when I was three or four, maybe. Yeah, I um, shared that I, in the basement. We had one. That's yeah. where I lived. And I remember the TV dying. I was watching it when it happened and oh. Flintstones were on <laughs> and, um, and the picture started getting smaller and then it got a little smaller and then it got a little smaller and then pretty soon it was just a little white dot and then it was gone. And I was really confused. I was like, why don't I get to watch the Flintstones anymore? And my, my mom was like, looks like the TV died. Oh, wow. I love that yeah. as an image. I need to put that in a video. That's pretty great. If you, you Better credit me. I always credit you. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so tell us about your imaginary friends. Do you still remember them? Um, I remember a few of them. I had uh, uh, an imaginary friend who was an astronaut. Uh, and then she was an astronaut lady. And then I had another imaginary friend who was also an, a, lady, a lady. I don't remember their names or anything. And I had an imaginary friend who was like a sentient car that I think was based on Speed Buggy. Do you guys remember that cartoon, Speed Buggy? It was like, it was one of the Scooby-Doo yes. knockoffs where there was like a talking car that helped a bunch of scrappy teenagers <laughs> solve mysteries. <laughs> oh my God. Uh, Scrappy-Doo? Yeah, yeah, it was a Scrappy-Doo of cars, really. Um, no, I don't remember. But that's Scooby. pretty much all I recall of that. I, I don't know. Did you ever watch Land of the Lost? Uh, Land of the Lost. I did, but it never... I didn't really stick with me. So it wasn't something that I paid a whole lot of attention to until like years later. So the reptilians and in, in the pyramids, monkeying with crystals really didn't resonate with you, huh? No, no. I, <laughs> no, I didn't have like, there was no, there was no religion in my upbringing. So I didn't have a whole lot of exposure to religious symbols until later on. I so wouldn't that, consider that I love how, I love how the me. reptilians fall under that. Well, they are. The sleeve stack are reptilian. <laughs> They're lizard people. What else could I? No, I just I I didn't know that then either. I mean, I just realized that. Yeah. Yeah. So I I didn't have a I didn't I, I guess it's hard to really put my finger on anything that really impressed me. You know, symbols that were impressed upon me as a kid. You know, maybe Burger King crowns. I really liked having Burger King crowns every once in a while. Uh, yeah. I don't know. That's a good question, though. I should think about that some more and see. So, so you you were you're an Oregon native. I am an Oregon native. And so when I 
immediately because I, I live here and mm -hmm. to me, everything is about the outdoors here. So it is, you must have had a relationship with nature. Oh yeah. Um, in fact, my dad is a, is a huge outdoorsman. And so we were constantly hiking and camping, um, and exploring different parts of Oregon. Uh, oddly enough, you know, we never, we never ventured a whole lot into, uh, Washington or California. So I never got exposed a lot to like the nature in, in those States, but in Oregon, like we were everywhere in the Cascades, we went backpacking and camping and hiking and canoeing and all kinds of stuff. Cross country skiing was really big. Yeah. So, and then my dad is a, is a, a really avid bird watcher. So there was a lot of exposure to nature and, birds and animals um i don't know that i totally i didn't really take after him with that like i'm pretty good at identifying some birds but uh maybe like more than average but maybe about five percent more than average but it also involved lots of stargazing and just yeah there was a lot of nature in my youth yeah it's it is really i mean for people that don't know the west it's really nature oriented um, and it is up through all of it, you know. Mm -hmm. So, and that plays a big part in in how these symbols develop in our unconscious. Yeah, for sure. And it's actually something that even even if you live in a city in out here here in Oregon, you've probably uh, you're probably an outdoors Z type person at least a little bit. Yeah, I mean the bigger Seattle and Portland, especially. I mean they're just surround they're enveloped by nature here. Mm -hmm. so it's it doesn't even feel like it's like a metropolis springs out of the forest so it's it's just wholly different from the the east what about um religion were you brought up religious at all no i was brought up um we didn't talk about it there was no religion like we didn't go to church um when i was a little older we started going to unitarian church but um it was pretty much symbol free uh i do remember uh, I became a Boy Scout at some point, and one of the merit badges was like a church merit badge where it was like you have to do all these church things in order to get the badge. And I went to my dad, and I was like, Dad, what do I do? What's what's all this? Like, I don't understand all these questions. And um, so we got like this Unitarian Universalist workbook, which was still just like – it was so vague, right? There's no, there's no real yeah. dogma going on there. Um, and my mom likes to tell this story about one time when she uh, sent me – to a neighbor's house for babysitting. And I came back and said, and I, I was like, mom, there's something, I really liked being over there. You know, they had like Star Wars on, on Laserdisc, but, but this, they had this scary picture on the wall of this, of this really sad guy with a bird's nest on his head and he was bleeding. Oh, oh my God. And my mom was like, what is he talking about? <laughs> and it was one of those pictures of Jesus with the crown of thorns. I had never been exposed to that before. I had no idea what was going on. I was like, why does that even exist? So <laughs> I think probably the closest, like, you know, we had Christmas and Christmas songs. So we sang about all this stuff, but I never paid any attention to what it meant. So, so I didn't really start to get into religion until probably junior high or later when I, you know, discovered Wicca and, um, you know how that goes. So give us a give us a little um, like a an edited version of how you went from like kind of the Unitarian. I love thank you for the Unitarians. That space is always available to rent out and use, and mm -hmm. I love them. Um, how you go from that into so from Wicca to where you are now, 
which is, is there's a, I can see from Wicked to where you are now. Yeah. Ooh, it's, that's, uh, you know, that's a lot of years to sort of pack into a, into an hour long interview, but so, well, so I discovered Wicca. Okay. All right. So I discovered Wicca, uh, just in a bookstore. Like it was a bookstore probably in like Bandon, Oregon, where I got some book on Wicca and maybe a tarot deck. And I was just sort of playing around with it and reading it and just being sort of fascinated. Uh, and that interest sort of grew and I branched out into other alternative religions. And, um, when I was in high school, sort of late, Oh, probably eighties first, you know, in the eighties and okay. into the nineties. But in the nineties, when I was in high school, I got training in uh, like that neo shamanic stuff. You know, the was it Michael Harper and his the way of the shamans thing that he had like students who would go around and teach you these trance techniques and weird neo shamanic healing things. And I, um, I learned that. And then in college, I got into like Discordianism and uh, probably chaos magic. I don't remember. Everybody gets into chaos magic at some point. I don't right. remember when mine, when mine was. Uh, and then from there, I mean, it just kept getting, you know, I just kept doing more study and more study. And I got into like ceremonial magic and, um, and Freemasonry, uh, kind of right around the yes, same time. Yes, you're one of the big, scary Freemasons. I am a big, scary Freemason. <laughs> um, yeah, we totally uh, hang out with the lizard people all the time and just sort of yes. talk about how, how good controlling the world is going. It's, it's awesome. Um, you know, except for the part where well, they like, peel their faces the off and eat mice. Surveillance. If we, you know, if, if you're to have a beer with Eric, there's always prying eyes around. There are the masons looking in. <laughs> did we? We didn't run into any masons, did we? I don't remember doing that. <laughs> they, they were the ones with the secret handshakes in the back. That's oh yeah, saying. yeah. Yeah. Oh wait, wasn't that person who served you beer? Like. Yeah, I had to like keep going into the bathrooms to like change out the tapes and the, uh, and the, <laughs> yes. and the cameras and stuff. It was. <laughs> so this is this is actually something to ruminate on for a minute. Is okay. where you are now, and so obviously, and you how you're trying to how your efforts in um, masonry are trying to reshape the local lodge here, your your lodge, mm -hmm. and um, and then how you're 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 dabbling with all this old stuff, Agrippa and Picatrix and all yeah. that. Yeah, I would say it's more than dabbling. It's 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 a pretty big, you know, I mean, I, I still do, you know, I'd say that ceremonial magic is probably the closest thing I have to a religious practice. So there's a lot of that going on. I think you could, you might be able to see part of my altar in the background. I know my camera's super crappy. But, but the people here can uh, see it, so... Are you Scottish? I know you guys oh, wait, are all so missing. Yeah. Are you Scottish, Scottish, <laughs> Scottish writer, York? Blue Lodge. Uh, both. Both. I'm, I'm, yeah, yeah. So I'm, I'm, a, I'm a pretty active Mason in Oregon, and I've done, uh, I've done a lot of Mason stuff too. But like, well, building, I'm enjoying like, your like, like building shit kind of Mason stuff, or oh no, you know, apron Mason stuff. <laughs> Aprons, not bricks. Not bricks. Yeah, yeah. So would you like to uh, disclaim any evil magic that's happening, <laughs> allegedly happening by the Masons in your you lives? Um, full credit for everyone. <laughs> I have never seen Masons do evil things to 
uh, other people. They mostly just do it to themselves. There's a lot of infighting in Freemasonry. Yes, but, of course. They, humans. We you... spend so much time squabbling. We don't really have time to control the world. So that's why everything's <laughs> such a mess. <laughs> I can believe that. I was more interested. I was. I wanted to ask also if are you one of the few magicians in your lodge, or is it, or everybody, or is it? Um, you know, my it's... lodge is my lodge is kind of uh, an exception in that it has attracted a lot of um, really esoteric uh, and philosophical minded people. So. Uh, I don't know. I actually don't know how many of them, <coughs> excuse me. I don't know how many of them have an active practice, but um, it's more than a handful. Well, it's good. probably, you know, my lodge has probably like 40 some people in it. And I would guess maybe 10 to 15 of them have some sort of active mm. practice. Uh, we've got overlaps with other, uh, you know, local occult and esoteric communities. And um, yeah, so that, but, but that my lodge is, is an outlier in that sense. Most lodges have zero. Uh, right. practicing right i can't imagine uh, my local one having anyone who even knows how to spell magic so. <laughs> yeah i mean you know the thing is like sometimes you're su you get really surprised sometimes you'll go into a lodge and it'll seem like just a bunch of old guys eating spaghetti and then one of them will be like oh yeah i knew alistair crowley back in the day <laughs> oh something you know he'll be like what what's going on <laughs> um so yeah it's it's really uh you know, one of the things about Freemasonry is it, it teaches occultists to uh, dress like normal people. Mm. Unlike the yes. OTO, which teaches yes. occultists to dress like Hot Topic employees. <laughs> yes. It, oh, man. The garb that the garb in the world. Does it teach them or does it just <laughs> yes. attract those types? You know, it's kind of up for grabs. Uh, it totally teaches them. Okay. It totally teaches them. Yeah, it's, I, I'm pretty sure, you know, in order to, in order to get your uh, third degree in the OTO, you have to wear a black T-shirt and black leather pants. <laughs> yes man jim morrison would have gotten easy oh absolutely he mm -hmm. might have been who knows the lizard king, the lizard king. oh absolutely <laughs> he wasn't allowed to i'm sure okay so I'm, right here i want to before we leave the past behind mm -hmm. i um i'm curious about any standout dreams from your childhood that you may still have recall of and you still recall S Standout dreams from my childhood. I, all right, I don't know if this was a dream, but when, um, when we, when I, when we moved into the house that my parents still have in Roseburg, uh, I was five years old. And when we moved in, my parents got us uh, two kittens, one of which uh, didn't live very long, died pretty young. And I used to feel like that cat was hanging out as a ghost. I used to have dreams or oh. the experience of that cat walking on the bed. And I'd be like, oh, the cat's in here. But the cat wasn't. There was no cat in there. It was just like a feeling of a cat. Uh, and I'm not, I'm not sure if that was a dream or not. Ooh, ooh I just thought of another one. Uh, flying dreams. Oh, which which I think are pretty common. Um, but I had a flying dream and this wasn't like outside flying. This is like in the house flying where I was flying down the hallway or I was like bumping my head on the ceiling and and floating down the hallway. And this dream was so vivid that like a couple days later, I asked my parents about it. I was like, do you guys remember like a couple days ago I was like flying in the hallway and they're like, Eric, that didn't happen. That was a dream. And I'm like, no, no, it was real. 
So I think those probably are the two, they stand out because to me, they were too real. You know, they were the sort of dreams where you're like, this is totally real. Yes. I mean, maybe I was, maybe instead of dreaming that I was flying down the hallway, I was astrally projecting myself down the hallway. <laughs> that was totally not me. That's the ghost um, of a dog. It's, it's, it's yeah. our, our co-co-host. <laughs> so I would say that, yeah, th those are probably the two instances that really stand out the most. Um, I don't really think about back then very often. So if another one pops into my mind uh, later on, I'll, I'll let you guys know. Were you, okay, so on that note, since you brought that up to your mother, did you ever, did, have you received feedback that you sleepwalk or sleep talk? Uh, no, but I do snore. Okay. That seems uh, but, pretty normal. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I've never, nobody's ever, I've never sleepwalked and, uh, nobody's ever told me that I've, uh, sleep talked. So no. Okay. Well, I like the, I like the animal. So we're getting a lot of this animal stuff recently. This is great. So mm -hmm. the, and I guess just for clarity's sake, I, I'm, I might, this might have been like one of those little moments. I usually listen and I was listening, but I don't remember hearing you say that the second cat actually disappeared. Oh, uh, one cat died and one cat Okay, that's lived. what happened. Okay. Yeah. Just to get that straight. So after it died, that's when you had that experience. That's my recollection. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. Yeah, I'm trying to, I'm compiling mm -hmm. a lot. I'm really moving towards the animal stuff recently. That's interesting. Mm -hmm. Very. Um, so are you RH negative by chance? Um, I try not to be negative ever. I try to maintain <laughs> a very positive attitude, uh, but I have no idea. I don't know what my blood type is. Dude, you don't know I try your not blood to bleed. type. What if it's an emergency? Oh. Nobody knows well, I, a blood I don't, type. I try not. Yeah, I try not to have emergencies. But even when you go to get a yeah. blood test, they won't. They won't even tell you what your blood type anymore. Are you well, serious, Jerry? Yeah, I asked the last two times I had a test. What the hell? I don't understand why that would be. You have to it's because Jerry's type Z. He's a Vulcan. Oh, yeah, we know Jerry is definitely of non-human origin. <laughs> I'm a time traveler from the future. <laughs> <laughs> I only know mine because my mom always said, told me to, you know, remember your universal donor. That was the only way. So I understand. I'm not, I'm definitely looking down your long nose at you way you wouldn't know your blood type. Um, so on this Sorry, note, mom. on this note, yeah. have you at any time in your life um, played around with psychotropic stuff and um, that, that gave you, that broke the the glass house around you of consciousness, how you perceive the world. Uh, allegedly. Yes, allegedly. Mm. Yeah, allegedly I have, for sure. Uh, <laughs> for legal reasons. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I, I've, uh, I've experimented with stuff like that. And was anything, was anything significant? Did you, you know, was it, was anything actually yes. mind expansive? Did your life change in your perception of reality? Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, that's happened to me numerous times uh, from psych psychotropic 
uh, allegedly from psychotropic experiences, but also just from like ritual work. Like both of those have, have led yes. to that sort of experience. Yes. And that's, that's another thing here. You're a magician and I, I can also, uh, I can also say amen to that because doing mm. some of these rituals really does lift the veil if you're doing it properly. Oh, yeah. Um, do you have any experience to share with an, um, any alleged psychotropic? <laughs> <laughs> sure. Sure. Here's, here's one, here's one story that may or may not be true. <laughs> For, teach us, for teach us how to trip, listening. Eric. Teach us how to trip. <laughs> so, I uh, it was a very long night that stretched on into the morning, and um, and I had been taking a, a substance that I continued to take throughout the night, maybe maybe to a little bit of an unwise amount, and um, by the time morning rolled around, it was. You know, we were. I was with a group of people, a group of really close friends, and the we were we were just pretty much run ragged. And we had gone back to a friend's house, which is a few blocks away from my place, and he had this huge oak tree in his yard. And we all just sort of like laid down on the ground under the oak tree, probably in piles of dog shit. He had a humongous dog, and I don't think any of us looked that carefully. But um, but I remember just sort of staring up at the tree and kind of drifting off and entering into, I don't know if I fell asleep or if I just entered into some kind of weird trance. And I had this experience of this vast and terrifying void, this nothingness that was just forever and huge and scary. And there was so much nothing there that that's not the right way to describe it. You know, it was, it was a void. And um, I remember sort of having this feeling of like, Oh God, I have to choose to come back from this. Like, I have to choose to come back knowing that this is something that exists. And, and I had, and I, and I had this, uh, the sort of epiphany that made me realize that I had to sort of like create my own path forward, that there wasn't a, um, nothing was going to hold my hand basically. Uh, and then sort of turning around and coming out of that and just having this, like, it was very bleak. It was a really bleak existential experience where when I came out of it, I was like, Holy crap, what was that? And what did that mean? Uh, and that that actually took me a few years to really kind of work through and, and come to terms with. Um, and then other times, you know, uh, I found that if you have better uh, reality altering experiences, if you go into it with something like that in mind. So, for instance, yes, uh, I agree. Like psychotropics mixed with um, like meditation or ritual work, or my favorite is uh, binaural beats or even just like nature walks where like walking meditation sort of thing. Um, and those have all sort of produced like nothing so uh, reality shattering, but still um, very meaningful experiences that um, maybe don't have, that are, they aren't as, they aren't, there's nothing as profound to share from those, but yeah, like that it's happened numerous times. Yeah, that's the, and that's always the direction I'm more, that's the direction I lean towards when I ask these questions too, because I realize mm -hmm. there's, there's always been a party element to these things in modern culture. And, um, and I certainly have, have, I found my way through that avenue, I guess, mm -hmm. inadvertently. Um, it sounds like but you, I, you found out that set and setting were important early, which is a good thing. Yes, absolutely. Well, oh, yeah. yeah. 
yeah. you're at a party and you do something like that and then all of a sudden the world is not the world <laughs> i'm like i'm sorry there's no more ha-ha's for me i heard dark side of the moon for the first time like that in that state like where am i and then it's just like blasted oh my god i love pink that early pink floyd yes um i love that i love this experience of the void in making the choice that seems very um that seems right on for me in my experience with a lot of things especially in lucid dreaming so let's move on into that let's move into how you experience in general dreams so not and, and i'm just talking about the underlying the baseline of how you dream so color sounds not the standout stuff which we want to get to and i know you've okay. brought some stuff to talk about as well uh i mean i've think that I pretty much always dream in color. Uh, at least I remember them in color. Um, I definitely hear things in my dreams. Um, I don't know if I've ever, I don't know if I've ever smelled things in my dreams. Uh, not that I can recall anyhow, but yeah, I mean, I guess uh, I dream a lot, you know, so I, I keep a, I, I don't do it as religiously as I should, but I keep a dream journal from time to time. And, um, and I, I know just from talking to other people that I seem to uh, rec recall my dreams way more often than, uh, than a lot of folks. In fact, there have been people where I've been like, hey, I had this dream last night. And they'd be like, how do you remember this all the time? I've never, ever, I never remember dreams. So, so yes, I dream. They are frequent and colorful, not like overly colorful, but you know, normal colorful. Do you experience any, um, do you have, so, okay, that's the normal scape. Do you, have you had black and white dreams or like sepia tone dreams? Um, I don't know. Uh, if I have, they, they didn't um, stick out to me as that way. You know, I've had dreams that, that weren't, yeah, I don't think so. I think almost all, I think my dreams are pretty much in color. I remember as a kid reading some article about that, that was stating that like most people dream in black and white and thinking to myself like, that's weird. I don't feel like I dream in black and white. Um, and I don't know that I ever have. I'm not really, in my memory, when I recall the dreams, they're never in black and white. So I don't know what that means. What about the quality of sound? Is it, the only hmm. way I can distinct the only way I can make this classification is like sometimes I feel like it's all in my like head like um virtual reality in a theater like an IMAX or something where it's just surround sound and intense and then there's other times where it's just more muted hmm. and not that intense that's a good question I I honestly uh I don't think that I've paid I don't I don't know that I have enough um recall of sound quality as much as like sound content. So I'm not sure, uh, I'm not sure exactly how I experience sound in dreams. I, I should probably pay more attention to that. Um, hmm, I don't know. And then what about, um, what's the quality of sensate stuff with, um, with touch uh, of tactile stuff? Touch always seems to be more of an impression than an actual feeling, you know? So like, I, I know that touch is happening. Uh, 
but it's i think usually when that happens it's 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 it sort of stands out because i don't always have like a touch experience in my dreams um but when it happens you know i i guess it always sort of feels like the sort of thing that i don't think twice about like it's always like yes there's touch but it doesn't it, i haven't looked at it very analytically yeah yeah and it's and that's what i'm that's what i get at is like just mm-hmm. the stuff that stands out is really what's more important in the end but i, I do like to mull through and and see where these other yeah. layers are falling those are interesting questions because now i want to pay more attention to that kind of stuff when i'm dreaming so if you know i'll check in with me in a few months and maybe i'll have more input on those yeah jerry and i have an idea going forward about stuff like that of that follow-ups mm-hmm. like giving um, people a shopping list like mm-hmm. <laughs> do these dream things and report back <laughs> maybe not quite like that however but we do we do have we have we have an idea mulling around we have designs. so mm-hmm. yes we do have designs <laughs> um, alert the lizard also, people <laughs> Oh no! You and your them. Freemasonry. It's too late for them. Sorry. <laughs> so, um, and then okay. So before we get into into some of the stuff, the content you've brought, and and this is great because you did, you you actually did a, an exercise. I was going to do with you. I wasn't able to though. Um, how do you experience? do you experience reoccurring places or themes or reoccurring characters? Absolutely. Yes. I have, uh, I think primarily reoccurring places. Um, uh, and there's probably a a handful of them that I've, that I've been in. Um, they're almost always buildings and, they're interesting because they'll seem familiar to me every time I'm in them in a dream. And there's always some part of them that is kind of like stretching off into the infinite and, and unknown. Right. Does that make sense? Well, yes. here's an example. I have yeah, this and one. Examples are good. Thank you. Okay. So I have, uh, I have this one dream house, I guess that I have been in many, many times. And it's kind of like, a shabby old Victorian mansion. And I always am like in this sort of atrium room in the, in the, on the ground floor. And I mean, this place is like falling apart. You know, the paint oh, is peeling and there's cobwebs everywhere. <laughs> I'm feeling this. Uh, um, and, uh, and, and so in this room, there's sort of like a grand staircase that goes up, but it goes way up. Like it, there's floors and floors and floors above me. And it's above me that it sort of drifts off into the unknown. So like in the dream, I'll always have this feeling like I can go off on this side and there's a sunroom. I can go off on this side and there's a kitchen. Uh, I can go upstairs and like there's some, there's like a library or some places that I know. But like if you go to the third floor or the fourth floor, or anything above that, it's always just super mysterious. And I remember in the dreams, I'm always like, I wonder what's up there. But there's always something going on that I have to dream about or interact with in the dream world that keeps me in the areas that are known. Um, and so but I mean, it's strange, like you can look, you know, I, I, I've had dreams where you, you know, you look up and maybe like somewhere way off in the distance, there's some sort of like glass dome at the ceiling. But, you know, I never go up there. I don't know what's up there. It's just a mystery. 
So I want to I want to drill down on this for a it's minute. The firmament. Yeah, it's totally a description of it. Um, yeah. So, did you grow up in a Victorian house? Do you have no, any connection no. to that? No, absolutely not. Not except maybe from like some TV show or something like the Adams Family, or who knows. But it, like, I grew up in like very normal ranch style, you know, uh, small town Oregon houses that were, you know, I mean, um, the house that I probably spent the most of my years in 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 Roseburg, where I grew up, was a uh, was built in like. 1980 so that's what what is that makes it more significant because like Mm -hmm. me i have this whole victorian past and so it's not surprising it's not surprising that my dreams are filled with that kind of feel oh so your dreams aren't filled with ranch style homes no darling no (laughs) (laughs) so i find that very significant because there's a certain um it's the victorian house in particular all the styles within that are a certain archetype and um i associate mm-hmm. them a lot with maybe pluto and and um mm-hmm. you know because part of it is uh round rooms gargoyles you know green men and the mm-hmm. carvings and all dark woodwork this there's a feel that's plutonian in it and um and even like 12th house and so that's yeah. what's interesting is that you were not you know, this is not some symbol that came to you as a child because you lived in one of these. Right. I do have and, another um, dream house. Tell. This one is way more normal. Uh, and it's kind of like a... Oh, I don't even... I almost never can remember what the front part of the house is like. It's, it's kind of just plain. Um, like maybe like an old farmhouse out in eastern Oregon or something like that. But the weird thing about it is, so this house is always on a lake, uh, and the back of the house, like you go out to where like the garage would be, and it just stretches off down this long corridor, again, sort of off into infinity, like I never get to the end of it. And off of it are like these just very boxy, ordinary rooms uh, that sometimes they'll be like sunlit, and sometimes it'll be like dormitories from like a, from like a, summer camp style thing or something and sometimes there'll be like garages with like old vehicles in them or something um but this one is all on the ground floor right it's just this long hallway that goes off and sometimes i'm on the outside of this house and i'll look at it and be like oh that's my dream house or you know not not dream houses as in i want to live there because it's not a great i understand but you know (laughs) i'll recognize it and it's dark green on the outside until you get to the front part when it's usually more freshly painted um but it's really strange. It's just like, it just goes on. And there's always people in there that I interact with. Like that place is usually pretty well stocked with people. And so that place is stocked with people and the other one that's Victorian is not? It'll maybe sometimes have one person in it or two people in it, but not What are you usually doing in that one? Oh, you know, I don't even, I, I honestly can't recall. Um, uh, that's a good question. It's it's one of those dreams where they, they tend to be these dreams where there's like a lot of conversation or a lot of, I, I feel really confused in them. And mm-hmm. uh, I don't know, I don't know if I have any of those written down or any that I can really recall off the top of my head. I just know that the location pops up over and over again with both of them. Yeah. Um, 
yeah, I wish I had, I wish I had a more specific dream to recall out of those, but the locations themselves are always really interesting to me the next day. Like that's always the most exciting part. I'm like, Oh, I was in that dream house again. Yes. What the hell was I doing there? Yes. Yeah. I find those myself, the reoccurring spaces, extremely significant. And then I try to parse out what really the particulars, because it's like, this is, Mm -hmm. this is a place I go. Yeah. This is, even though it's ever shifting. Um, Right. Right. Have you, do you experience, have you experienced people that you knew in this waking life that have passed or animals that have passed besides that cat um in dreams there's a another cat oh okay well i know yeah, you're a cat I, person you have kubla khan there with you i do have kubla i don't know where he is right now but he'll probably show up later um yeah <laughs> so i actually um uh, the cat that I, so uh, I, the, the, probably the only cat that I've had uh, for the cat's entire life was this cat named Tarzan. He was a wonderful cat, like possibly the best cat in the world. Uh, very friendly, very, you know, we, we went through lots of misadventures together. Um, and I had a dream about him just recently. Uh, and it was really strange, like in the dream, oops, excuse me. I don't remember what, where the heck I was. It was some sunny, really pleasant place. And there was a cat there that looked nothing like Tarzan, but I knew it was Tarzan. And all he wanted to do was just sort of hang out. And it was sort of, it felt like kind of a message of like, everything's groovy. I'm cool. It was like just a happy Tarzan moment. So when, when you encountered him in the dreamscape, you Uh were aware that he was, he'd actually passed in your waking life or was it just to Yeah, I think I was aware that he had passed. You know, I was like, "Oh, hey, Tarzan, what do you? You know, how how are you here? You know, that sort of thing." Um, yeah, but it, we just really okay. hung out for a little while. It was a dream where very little happened except that I petted a cat. And that was recent, correct? That was very recent. That was in the within the last couple months. And how long has he been dead? I think he died in 2012. Oh, interesting. Very. Yeah. Um, oh, that's, I love that though. All those years have passed and then he, mm-hmm. he pops up recently. That's, that's great. Yeah. What about, well, the weird thing was that he didn't look like him in the dream, right? He was oh. a different color and he had stripes like Tarzan, the original Tarzan, real Tarzan was a black cat. And this, the, the dream cat was like tawny and light colored. But, but it was still Tarzan. And that's what's absolutely, yeah, yeah, it was totally Tarzan. I mean, maybe it's Tarzan's new life. Maybe he reincarnated as another cat. Well, that's what I'm saying. That's why it's significant. You just reminded me yeah. of a uh, little shop of horrors. So, totally Tarzan. <laughs> like, like suddenly see more. <laughs> I wish people could see you sometimes, Jerry. <laughs> I want somebody who's watching our YouTube channel right now to make me a totally Tarzan theme song. Oh, yeah. Okay. Let's get on that, people. I'm sure Felix yeah. would do it. Come on, internet. <laughs> we always have a, such a modest little, little. I don't even look because I get distracted too easily and my computer hates it. Well, I um, don't even know how to look. <laughs> so, okay. And then um, some more P's and Q's. Oh, there's the co-host. Hey, um, co-host. Some more P's and Q's before we get into some dreams that you've brought to share. Okay. What about, so in... This is kind of a two-part thing, and we might revisit it later, but in context of right now and what we're talking about, have you experienced deja vus that maybe tied into 
to dreams that you could actually say, oh, I dreamed this? Uh, I've had that, I've had that feeling many, many times. Um, I've never been able to confirm. It's never been a dream that I've written down, right? Like that would be great if I'd written down a dream where I was like, I dreamt that this and this and this happened and then it did. Like that has never happened to me. But uh, I've had the feeling um, many times. So just describe, just give an example. Like, so you're walking in a room, uh, you have the deja vu and you're like, you, you actually associate it with a dream. It's very seldom that it's of any significance. It'll usually be the sort of situation where I'm having a conversation with somebody where we meet somebody new and all of a sudden I'll be like, Oh, I feel like I dreamt that I had mm -hmm. this exact conversation. Okay. So, uh, so I don't really have, you know, again, it's one of those things that I didn't, you know, I thought it was really curious at the time, but I probably didn't write it down or record it well enough to, to bring you a specific example of that. Unfortunately. Yeah, but I, it's just still tying it to the fact that you you have a conscious you have a memory of thinking that this that you're experiencing mm -hmm. that seems familiar that is a deja vu is something you actually remember or think you remember dreaming and that's all the yes. tie-in I'm trying to make. I don't care about documentation. Yeah, um, yeah I've I have had that experience. What about okay? So this is and I'm always struggling to find the right words for this. Okay. Of course, I like the witchier words like prophetic, <laughs> um, uh -huh. but dreams that have come true and, and no matter how insignificant it seems, you know, just, and so the, you can see how this kind of ties into deja vu also, uh -huh. um, but have you dreamt anything that came to pass? Um, no, maybe not that I am aware of at the moment. I, I feel like if that did happen, you would not, you would, would have totally this. Like, like yes. last week, Heidi was just, you know, you don't want Heidi dreaming about uh -huh. you. Cause she said they're always intense and they're always. <laughs> um, so, but she brought, you know, she was able to bring that right up. Yeah. That's, that's what I, um, that's what I wanted to get. I wanted to get all that kind of background context. So let's talk modern dreams, what you're dreaming about right now. And I think we should get right into the, the little, the little situation you just did. Oh yeah. So when you, so I, uh, I decided that I was going to do some dream magic and I used the, uh, the Greek magical papyri and, um, it took me a little while to pull it all together. There's a lot of, actually, I took a lot of notes. Let me, let me see. I, so I went through, um, Stephen Skinner's book, uh, which is called the techniques of the Greek magical papyri. Yes, and, and so I think it's a great it's book. It's I have essential. Yeah, it's essential. Oh yeah, yeah. It's not an no, instruction it's book. It's essential, and he it's catalogs. A... Yeah, well, it's a catalog, right? So right. he breaks. So you can't really like. It's really hard to find what you're looking for if you're just reading through the magical papyri. So yeah. he basically breaks all the all the spells down into categories, and he's like, if you're looking for this kind of spell, uh, these are the typical elements, and go here, and then he'll have this chart. And in the chart, it'll have where it is in the in the papyri, um, like the gods that are involved, like the kind of you know thing that it's trying to do, and specifically, and like all that kind of stuff. So I went through there, and there are probably like maybe a dozen or so um, rituals in the Greek magical papyri that are intended to uh, request what they call what, uh, request dream oracles. Um, so I looked for the easiest ones. 
because some of them are really complicated and yes i love magic, like some but, cat blood but, in one of them or something you know it's like yeah i wasn't i wasn't gonna like sacrifice any animals i didn't want to like hunt down rare ingredients and try to make like weird magic inks or anything right. like that. i wanted to do something really simple and i you know i mean i still took uh, i still took some liberties um you know like the the ancient egyptians didn't have aluminum so they did so they used a tin foil to do stuff and i was like to hell with that. I've got so much aluminum foil, I'm just going to use aluminum foil. They'd probably be super excited about aluminum if they had it. <laughs> um, so I went through and I found uh, a number of them. Um, and the, the ones that I was looking at were actually pretty interesting. Some of them involved um, using an oil lamp and speaking to it. And you would speak to the oil lamp and be like, I have a yes or no question. Um, if it's a yes, make me dream about this thing. And if it's a no, make me dream about this thing, which would be cool. I have not experimented with that yet. Um, but we have a friend that, that has and does and has had great experiences. Make me dream about this thing. With that, I'm going to... Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, I've been talking to him about this as I went through it, too, because... Yeah, um, he's, he's really he's, he's a, a, sore, he's a good source. Incredible. Yeah. Yeah, he's an incredible resource for this stuff. Yeah. Uh, and in fact, he was the one who was like, no, get tin, get tin. I'm like, I'm not yeah. doing it. I'm, I'm using aluminum. And he, he probably yeah. he probably slept horribly that night. Theophilus <laughs> um, is his name. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so there were so, so some of them involved, uh, some of the really interesting ones that I, that I also really want to try involved uh, drawing a, an image of uh, a Besa or Bess, who's one of the, like, he's a it's an egyptian god that he's an, like an ugly little dwarf that's like facing the camera instead of turned sideways so if you've seen a picture of him it would probably stand out but you basically draw a picture of him in one of your hands and you surround it with all this magic words and then you wrap your hand with what they call a black cloth of isis and you go to sleep uh, i didn't try that one because i have no idea what the black cloth of isis is and that's kind of i'm gonna have to figure that out um so the one that i did involved writing uh, barbarous names and god names on a piece of foil uh, and then incensing it with a short with it with a prayer and then almost directly after it well actually directly after it, you go to sleep in the in the in the spell it's like don't talk to anybody go directly to bed i was like all right i can do that can so, i insert this jerry yeah. you um jerry can post a photo of your tin foil right didn't oh, yeah. you post it, that steam it or somewhere uh yeah yeah it's i actually <laughs> can show video i mean if you want to cool. do a share um, screen i can show it i've got that working by the way sure hold on let me because go. i think it helps for people to see it no, um, I, I agree and it's interesting and it's accessible it's the thing about this one you mm -hmm. did perform yeah yeah and the, and the foil like i i um i destroyed it after i used it but uh, do you want me to send you the link, Jerry? I'll just send you the link. Sure. No, I can't share it. You have to. You, have to do it. you can't share the link in our chat. I can share the link. I was going to show. I can't share the screen to show the picture. That's okay. Oh. Just send oh, me the link. Never mind. Send me the link. Okay. 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 I'm sending you a link. Right. Um, Zoom yeah. chat. Okay. So. So. Um, yeah, and the and the foil itself doesn't include anything. You know, it's it would be the same every time. You'd you'd prepare it the same every time, um, but the thing is, you prepare it, you stick it under your pillow, and you go directly to sleep. So, 
I decided I, you know, I've been trying to figure out like different ways of changing my income or generating more income or something like that. So I put that into the prayer. I went to sleep. Um, and then at some point in the night, Kubla Khan, my, my cat, woke me up. And it wasn't just like he jumped on me and woke me up. When I woke up, he had his paw on my face. He was sitting there staring at me, pawing me in the face. Oh, wow. And I was like, I was like, what's going on? And then I remember, and then I was like, oh my God, I've been dreaming. And so I immediately got out my journal. I started writing down all my dreams. And I had four specific dreams. And the crazy thing was it was it was a very short amount of time. Like I had gone to bed probably between like 10 30 and 11 and Kubla woke me up at like 1 30 in the morning. So in that space, in that span of time, I had like ver four very specific dream images that that kind of stuck out. Um, and I still haven't totally figured out how they're going to, how they tie into my question, which totally makes me think of like all the stories of, you know, like the Oracle of Delphi, who always gave like super vague answers and stuff. Uh, yeah. So it really seems like at the same time, like you get these, I got these dream oracles or these oracular dreams that were hazy but maybe helpful like i'm going to share the first well, share one them. okay, okay but share, share what you some will. of them okay the okay. first one is kind of freudianly uncomfortable and i have to unpack it a little bit still you know those are my uh, favorite but okay yeah, Over a beer but, <laughs> okay sounds good sounds good okay so uh the second one um which uh, i think had the most had the clearest meaning I was in a space that was super brightly lit and kind of reminded me of a, um, uh, I don't know, like a lawyer's um, reception area in a sci-fi film or something like that. Like it was all white and brightly lit. There was a man in a suit standing behind like a receptionist desk. And he looked, he, I, the impression I got from him is that he was very uncomfortable and didn't have a lot of uh, confidence in himself. And in front of him, he had a, uh, he had a collection of objects in a row. It's like four or five of them, or maybe even more. And they're all sort of brightly colored, like rainbow colored um, orbs that were, you know, they weren't like smooth orbs. They looked like puzzle orbs or something. And the impression I got from him was that he knew what he was doing, but didn't have any confidence in himself. And he didn't say anything that gave you that impression. That was just sort of the feeling I got. But behind him, there was like, one of those frosted shower sliding door things which was also brightly colored and my attention was immediately drawn to that and it was closed and i was like oh there's some sort of influencer hiding in that shower closet so that was just sort of a dream vignette or something that i had it was very short um the next dream i had was kind of scary um, I was running away from something. And in my dream, I was like, oh, I'm being chased by an evil wizard. Uh, and I got to this door and in front of the door were these two people. And they were both kind of like, they were kind of like, I don't know, pudgy janitor types. And I was like, what's going on? What's going on? And they're like, we are. And they told me that they were spirits that had been summoned to protect me, that I should go behind them and go through the door and that they would die saving my life. And I was like, okay, cool. And wow. I did it. Yeah, and then the fourth one was possibly the weirdest. And I, all I remember from this one is I was looking at, there is this 
it was a dark, dark room. And I was kind of looking through uh, into like a, a window that was sort of lit like it was, it was dawn or sundown. It was just the light coming through like this amber light. And sitting in the window in profile was this uh, naked pregnant woman. But the light was sort of like coming through her pregnant stomach so I could see the baby in there. And there was this other woman who was like worshiping her or kneeling in front of her, like worshiping the, the stomach. And the baby's hands were like suddenly started coming out of the stomach and they like grabbed the other woman's head and pulled her into the stomach. I'm speechless over that. Yeah, I don't know what that one means at all. So but. in that one, though, let's look at that one for a minute. So okay. in that one, what was the feeling you were having as you were witnessing this? I would say it was a feeling of awe, kind of maybe shock, like sort of like what is going on? Because um, it was very surreal. It was like, you know, it was like body dysmorphia sort of stuff. And weird. there was something weird going on where I didn't feel like I was supposed to be there necessarily. I was watching something very private that was happening between two people that maybe I shouldn't have been seeing. Mm-hmm. So, okay. And then with the first one that you shared with the, um, mm-hmm. the one in the suit and the, yeah. that, so th- there seems to be, for me, there's a small theme in context to the question in your uh-huh. petition. Okay. That are you not seeing that? Like, is there not that the show's not about dream analysis because that would be a personal thing. Um, Uh But I I do want to just maybe try and drill drill in on it a little bit. So like the the person in the suit and you said they seemed not, um, wasn't there like an apprehension or something? What was going on with the feeling of that one? Uh, my feeling of him was that um, he he lacked he lacked confidence. Yeah, he he was just really unsure of what he was doing. But he's in a suit, and so we have that as a yeah. symbol right there, right? Professional. Right. So he was, yeah, and he was supposed to know what he was doing, mm-hmm. and maybe he did, but he didn't feel like he did. And then the 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 frosted door. So it's a pane of glass, but yet it's it's not transparent, mm-hmm. right? And right. it's a color. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and I don't remember what color it was. I want to say it was probably like a pastel blue or something. It was very, like the whole room, there was nothing threatening in that room. It was all very like pastel colors or like rainbow mm-hmm. colors. And most of the furniture and walls and everything were, were bright white, like almost like over bright white. So I, I get right from that immediately, though, I get this self-consciousness about, you know, mm-hmm. in con- what you, your petition was about and um, that you you can't see, right. see past, you know, you can't see through that glass. But there's um, yeah. there's even questioning with the, the suit. Like, so this is, seems capable, but there's this internal aspect that's somehow uh, uh, an impasse and then if we move into this one mm-hmm. with the, the baby with the pregnant woman in, in profile and you can see see the baby in there like an x-ray almost yeah. correct um yeah kind of it was yeah it so you can of see those, of those goats remember when they're making those cloned goats in those bags and you can see through them oh god yeah that yeah. was creepy <laughs> Well, that's what it reminded me of. It was a creepy of. dream. 
<laughs> but this, but if you look at it in context to what your petition was, so you can mm-hmm. see that, you know, okay, so we got the pregnant woman who is, uh, you know, she's pregnant with this thing that's coming forth, this creating, this thing that it, she is wanting to create that is creating no matter what. And, um, and so we think about you with your petition and your question that you asked. And so you can mm-hmm. see it, you can see through and you can see it in there. And um, so it reached its hands out. Fill this in for me again. Yeah, so the there was another woman who was sort of leaning in and it reached its hand, the baby reached its hands out of the, the belly and sort of grabbed her by the head and pulled her in. And that felt... Um, uh, weird. Disturbing. Yeah, was there, it felt... What's well, a disturbing yeah, it, image, but like in if you're in the moment and you go back to that moment, was there was the lady being pulled in afraid? No, she was eager. And I guess the, 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 I, I remember having a feeling like I felt like I was watching something that was private that I shouldn't be seeing, but at the same time being like really curious about what was going on. So I was kind of creeped out and curious at the same time. And and still, this is you've petitioned the oracle. You have questions, mm-hmm. and this is what the oracle gives you: these hardcore right. symbols. Yeah. Um, and so, in a way, it seems to me like you you know what you should do, mm-hmm. and you you know you this. It's almost just like a canned. It, I, I'm not meaning this to be canned, but it seems like you know what you should do. You know the direction you want to go in. You want to work less, uh-huh. make more, all that. Um, and yet you're not taking the steps you can see. You don't have enough confidence or um, oomph to do it. Think, Eventually, mm-hmm. you could just get pulled in, like inadvertently. Yeah. like, Or you could mm-hmm. get pulled into something you don't want to do. That's, I think that's a good interpretation. I like that. I mean, I'm, I'm still thinking about it, but I think the way you're looking at it is really good. And that will definitely, that, that I think that has a lot of uh, value to it. Yeah. I mean, it's just a matter of messing, deconstructing the symbols because that's the language we're speaking. And I always find these more severe symbols are the ones to pay attention to. That's why they Mm -hmm. are sticking out. That's why they are, you know, sometimes scary or just, you know, extremely visceral. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. Well, thank you. That was actually, that was helpful. I'm going to, I'm going to take that into, um, it seems like so <laughs> there's also another thing like a pro so the baby seemed the baby a pregnant woman and the baby inside is also can be a symbol for a project right and yeah. um so it could possibly be something that's a project that can take you to where you want to go and that you're mm-hmm. not involved in yet because you were the observer here right right so to keep your eyes open for something that actually might that is kind of there, but you're not seeing it as a possibility for you. Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, maybe the future will tell. Maybe it's it's painting out a course of action that I need to take. I guess that's something um, that I don't necessarily know for sure yet. Yes. Well, that, that's yeah. true. So I love that you got the success, though, from this, this yeah, experiment. I'm, I'm definitely going to try some more of this, and I'm probably going to move on to um, some of the more complicated dream oracle stuff there's also a whole category of 
magic in the in the dream magic that involves sending dreams to people which is yes i was quite interested in those sections yeah Mm -hmm. i haven't uh, i haven't tried that out yet either but one of them involves like uh, uh, the one that looked easiest you you had to get the uh the the target's mom's name (laughs) so (laughs) so yeah i'll I'll work that out (laughs) those crazy egyptians I know, <laughs> but I mean, like, if um, they really existed. <laughs> Jerry, it's like the Jerry Nomad moment. Jerry's got his. <laughs> yes, um, yes, yes, yes. Yeah, but I mean, like, you know, but that's not that. Also, so you know, using dreams in ceremonial magic is something that I've done quite a bit too. Not necessarily always on purpose, but. Um, I've had dreams sort of like inform or influence my ritual. In fact, uh, I've never, I've never joined a magical order. Um, I mean, I guess I've, I've joined the Freemasons, but I, I wouldn't really consider them necessarily a magical order. But uh, so most of my initiation uh, in the magical sense has been sort of like self-initiation type stuff. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I have had teachers and I was talking to one of my teachers once and I was like, you know, I want to do this initiation. I want to be moving away from this particular symbol set and start doing something new. Um, and he's like, well, you know, pay attention to your dreams. Maybe something in your dreams will help you out. And I was like, okay, whatever. And then I had this crazy dream and in the dream, I don't remember all the details now it's written down in, in one of my magical journals, which uh, somebody w- will possibly get access to after I die. Um, but uh some of the things that I do remember is that there was like some sort of king who was a dwarf and there was like a castle and there was like this siege going on. And I remember telling my teacher about the dream. He's like, that's your, init- that's your self-initiation. And I'm like, what are you talking about? He's like, take, take whatever happened in there and turn it into a ritual. I was like, all right. And I did. Um, and then other times I've had, you know, uh, if I've had like workings that have lasted more than, more than a day, I would have had, I've had like dreams that have, changed or influenced like symbols or elements that i've used in my ritual yes Um, yeah i find that's a a common experience and that that tends to be uh potent and sometimes you know uh, much more like emotionally charged than it would otherwise be which i think is pretty cool have you in that vein um Mm -hmm. And that's usually a question we we ask here is, you know, do you get downloads? And so like when you're learning something or when you're doing something and mm-hmm. ritual certainly applies, especially these long rituals that, you know, where there's fasting involved in all this. Um, uh-huh. Have you received what seemed like clear downloads? You just kind of said yes to that, but do you have solid uh, you have examples to share? I don't know that, I mean, I guess the thing is with, with dreams, it never seems incredibly clear. Uh, I don't know. I had, hmm. I think that I've had dreams that have been maybe more meaningful than I realized at the time. You know, I, I'm thinking in particular a dream that I remember very clearly from when my marriage was failing and this is a long time ago and if my ex-wife is watching this I'm not going to reveal any personal information about you (laughs) but (laughs) but um but this was a a long time ago and our marriage was sort of failing and I remember this dream I was in um this beautiful kind of like 
a valley in like the Rocky Mountains or something. It was all grassy. It was pretty. And there were like all these cabins there, like cabins that you could like rent out and stay in. And I walked into the cabin that I had and it was on fire on the inside. (laughs) Uh, But there was like, there were like these glass walls that were keeping me away from the fire. And I remember just being like, holy crap, how how do I put this fire out? I can't get to it. Uh, Which in retrospect was a totally perfect metaphor for my marriage. Yeah, that, I mean, that could not be more clear. Yeah, Yeah, but I didn't realize it at the time, right? You know, Yeah. yeah. Well, that's common too, is we don't see sometimes there's so it's like the the pregnant woman it's just so it's like something obvious in your life that you're not seeing but once you look it'll be transparent so yeah you know well, it's like i'm that. gonna keep looking you know that's that's a good <laughs> but it's obvious and it's something right there that is somehow um i mean maybe it feels obvious to you but to me like look, i didn't even think of it dream. that way yeah. yeah i mean i didn't even think about think about it that way until you uh until you brought it up what about nightmares and night terrors? So you did give us a little teaser that those happen. Um, you know, I mean, I would have to say that uh, I've never had night terrors um, or anything of that sort. I've had, uh, and I, I mean, even the dreams that are uncomfortable to me or are or or contain like frightening elements to me, I, I don't know that I ever really consider them nightmares. I don't know that. Uh, at least not since I was a kid. I'm sure when I was a kid, I had nightmares, but I don't know that I really do as an adult. Like I never wake up terrified uh, from my dreams anyhow. But um, yeah, I don't know. Okay, I, so I, what about what about as we look at like, like paralysis, sleep paralysis? I've sometimes the terrors or the, that stuff ties into that when you first start getting out of body. Uh-huh. And it's, it actually is, for me, it was very scary. And I keep hearing that from a lot mm-hmm. of people, except for Ren. Ren is just like natural. It's like out of the body and gone. <laughs> um, I've never, I've never had a sleep paralysis experience either. Interesting. So it's, with lucidity yeah. and out of body experience, it, it sounds to me like you have very lucid dreams though. And, but there is a, there is definitely a category that there's a difference between lucidity and out of body. Yeah. So there, I would say, you know, the way that I've heard lucid dreams uh, uh, explained to me, I would have to say that uh, very few of my dreams, maybe none of them, are like a hundred percent lucid. Where, but I still, I think, have an awareness that I'm dreaming sometimes, or Mm -hmm. even sometimes like some influence over the dream. Um, I don't know that I ever sort of like come to full awareness or full consciousness that I'm dreaming. Although I have had times, like uh, I had a dream, I had a flying dream recently, probably within the last year, where in the dream, I was like, oh, I'm flying. I should go somewhere cool, Uh, where I don't know that I necessarily knew I was dreaming, but I definitely like did stuff consciously in the dream. And I remember that waking up being like, did I know I was dreaming? I don't know if I knew. I mean, I totally made. How do you not see that as lucid, though, Eric? You did stuff. You you decided to do stuff in the dream and did it, and in a way that is conscious. But I guess I always have figured that lucid dreaming is more of a sense where you're in the dream and you realize it's a dream, and then you make changes. Whereas I felt like in the dream, I, you know, because I feel like a lot of times dreams sort of play out like movies or books where. 
where you have something unfolding that you you kind of like go along with where you're mm -hmm. being acted upon rather than the actor um or you're like an observer or something or you're sort of like you know you might be experiencing it all first person but but the story is already pre-written or the dream is already pre-made um and maybe so i mean maybe that does count as a lucid dream but i mean i totally know that in the dream i decided to fly somewhere and i was making decisions and when i woke up i was like oh that's unusual that doesn't usually happen to me right i mean yeah does, that yeah well that sounds lucid to me but i mean it could there are varying degrees of lucidity yeah of yeah. course but when you're making choices and doing things like having when your will right. is involved i i definitely mm -hmm. classify that as that but and that's I, semantics yeah. and what you said about um your idea of lucidity is uh when you realize it in your dream you could just think of it that yeah. you just go into the dream already lucid you already realize it mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know that okay. might be why you don't recognize it because you're already in that state it's possible I don't okay know. Dream. that could be yeah i i it is <laughs> um yeah i don't know i guess um uh i guess it could be it could count as a lucid dream i i i would say maybe half lucid is that a thing it's a thing yeah but this is a very you answer eric you have you're hilarious everything um thing. he's never over dramatizes though that's what's great um, are you under dramatize well. anyway so, so under promise and over deliver that's eric <laughs> like you know he'll start out the videos with his brother with this is going to be a waste of your time you know stuff like that um anyway that's when those true. are hilarious it is true i mean those are a waste of your time <laughs> guys so okay let's get into some of the gooey stuff Let's get into uh -oh. the woo-woo. Okay. Yeah, well, so, no, just Wait, about your thoughts on... Okay. No, okay, you no. haven't even touched woo. Oh, you shit. haven't even... Your toe's not even in. Right, Jer? Oh. <laughs> well, we did talk okay. about reptilians earlier. I guess that's... We were good. joking. Now we're yeah, it was a joke. About them. Oh, so, okay. So, first of all, let's get into what do you... What do you think... Where do you think consciousness is? What do I think so, consciousness is? What is it? Where okay, do you think it is? Me, so let me parse this out this? for you. Where, let me parse this out. You have the experience of memories of your life mm -hmm. that you're living, right? Mm -hmm. And that yet there's no way to make that real. I mean, you can look at photos, I suppose, and videos and stuff, but it's still detached from you now. And then you have uh -huh. the experience of dream. And so where you had us, you were participating in those experiences. They are now memories. Uh -huh. You have dreams where you are participating in them, but they fall into the realm of they like dreams and memories. It's all not here. Mm -hmm. um, and then we move on a timeline. And of course, I think it's all point, point to point, the circle rounded, right? But so then there's death ahead right? As mm -hmm. far as how we are dealing with this plane of existence, where that is also something like you let, you know, allegedly you have consciousness there and all the stuff there. So that's... Now, that's, now we, yeah, I mean, that's a huge leap. Like, do we know that we have consciousness there? I'm not sure. Well, I mean, just having been no, in the process does. of it, in the process of uh -huh. dying, we right, have the ability right. to be conscious. And, um, and that's a fact. And so... Mm -hmm. Um, so that's why I'm asking where, where is consciousness? Cause right now we're talking live here and now, but how is this? Yeah. 
why is this the focus? That's, I mean, I got ideas about that. I don't know that any of them are necessarily correct, but. Um, yeah, but that we don't care about, we, we're not asking you to hang this on scientific method. We want your ideas. All right, okay. I feel like, so my first thought is that I don't believe that consciousness is an emergent property of matter. I think that consciousness precedes or or super exists matter, um, that we perhaps all might be sharing some element of the same kind of consciousness and that our particular, whatever, our particular spirit or mental, you know, physical construct or something is, is like a receiver of consciousness. Uh, I think that makes a lot more sense to me and fits better into experience that I've had. Um, as far as why we're here, I, or why it's happening or why we're experiencing this now, uh, that's, that's a really tough question. I guess I always want to sort of fall back on like a, on like a poorly interpreted Kabbalistic view of this. <laughs> Saying poorly interpreted because it, you know, I've been studying Kabbalah for like 20 years and all I've discovered in those 20 years is I totally don't understand it. Uh, and I've continued to deepen in my not understanding of it the more I've studied, but I feel like we are maybe a fragmented bit, like our experience of consciousness or the consciousness that we, that we have or experience is sort of like a dribbling of the cosmic or grand or like divine consciousness that has achieved a level of awareness solely for the purpose of not only perceiving, uh, but also comprehending and maybe even repairing um, creation and, and God. make any sense at all yeah i'm following i, I okay I'm just letting okay. it breathe yeah okay so what is god i don't know that's what we're here to figure out like Are when we? we do figure that out it'll be gone we'll be done everything will be done we are we are we are the moment of god's introspection or a dream uh possibly or uh possibly maybe it's all made because up. Uh, everything is made up for sure. <laughs> True. <laughs> God is fake news. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> fake news. Heck, fake news is fake news. Yeah, everything really. is true, even the false stuff. <laughs> yes. Uh, oh, my goodness. In some dimension, so, okay. right? Yeah. So how does one hang anything on the intangible, like memories and dreams? away from this waking experience like how how can we with i hear it every day i hear conviction in my experience of this and my experience uh -huh. of that and, and and to me it's all the same dribble because I, I you know if we're only ever experiencing this moment which is kind of where we always are even though it's ever changing ever blooming ever spiraling it's um 
your experience then is always changing. So I guess I'm just trying to figure out your ideas on on how this 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 right now this nowness is working. I get, I I heard what you hmm. said and I um, enjoyed it, but I still <laughs> didn't feel like I got that out of you. I honestly like. I feel like that's something I'm still trying to figure out. I, I feel like uh, maybe the the grand quest or the or the great work or whatever is to really try to figure out why why we're here, what we're supposed to be doing, all of that kind of stuff. You know, I mean, we all get so caught up in like the distractions of the rat race in everyday life that we don't. We don't really spend a whole lot of time experiencing experience or right. that's a horrible sentence. Experiencing now though. Yeah. Experiencing now. But I mean, even like, even like when you really break it down, we don't even get to experience now. There is no experiencing of now. The now that's so, in our head, the now that we, that our consciousness is going through is always behind the, the experience of perception, right? Yes. Perception yes. is always the past. Yes. The future is always rushing towards us fighting to be the past and the past is imperfectly stored in this cloud of memory that 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 each of our souls has imperfect access to that's filled with like haziness and and misrememberings and imperfections and uh i totally just lost myself there well it it leads me to this aspect of a question uh -huh. so if we're always in a now so if we push ourselves into the now of our death or birth i think they're both uh -huh. kind of similar so we're in the now of our death mm -hmm. and and then there's all the stuff that comes around um you know from kubler ross's work just all the people that have studied dying mm -hmm. and um about how not the moment of death because we don't have a lot of access to that but the process of dying and mm -hmm. how people in that process are living a life review right where you're, you're now you're dying and the things that seemed important you know throughout other periods of your life when that wasn't acute are now they've fallen aside and now you're wondering about you and your journey and what's happening to you and how this mm -hmm. is going to be what's ahead that nowness mm -hmm. put ourselves in that nowness so is that and then if we think of it you 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 laid the god word out and of course as someone that is not a christian i don't have baggage with that so i um that's so fire to me mm -hmm. it's it's a lot of different things so the nowness of death and then this review right mm -hmm. i'm going to die this is where i'm headed even if it's one of those time stun still experiences like you're in a car accident if you've ever been like in a traumatic experience where time literally stands still and there's it's like a superhero movie and you can make choices within that but it's and it's all actually happening super fast um so the nowness of death and we're in mm -hmm. review of our lives as we've gotten how do we get here is it possible is it possible that there's a a grand level of genesis here in that death birth experience where we are all actually trapped reviewing individually i suppose as cells in a body or whatever as eric you know reviewing so so you're asking if what i'm doing now 
might be the review that's actually happening on my deathbed. Right. So maybe your consciousness is actually somewhere where you're more acutely in the moment. And these are just reverberations. I, uh, that, that certainly could be, I, I mean, again, like that's, that's a create that that's a, that's a lot of speculation as much as I was making before, honestly, but, um, but it's, uh, it's crazy talk, honestly. And that's what we love. That's what Nox Mente is about. Night <laughs> mind. Exactly. <laughs> we are the children yeah, of the night. I mean, so, Should we call high so the mind thing is like, <laughs> it, it makes me think of, of, uh, of Augustine writing about memory, writing about his memory and his, like, uh, I can't, I, I wish I could quote Augustine. I wish that I could just pull it out of my ass because his words are far more beautiful than anything I will Augustine say. is amazing, yeah. Yeah, but he has this passage where he talks about, um, uh, he, he, he obviously had, had some kind of mystical experience. Like he had this experience of the Godhead or this, this experience of like divine love or something that was so great that it had really moved him. And afterwards, he wrote about um, how memory was the only thing that you know. I mean, there, there's so many, so many good and bad things come along with with memory and with remembering, but um, but without memory, he would not know God, and he would not know that experience that he'd had, and that sort of. And he lays it out in this like vision of this. He calls it like this this uh, garden of memory or this field of memory that he's like traipsing through. And every time I read it, I get this picture of like this crusty, cranky old monk like prancing through this field of wildflowers, you know, having this sort of like him and God sort of in an old romance movie prancing towards each other about to embrace or something like this. He has this this beautiful vision of his own experience where he's like, the memory of my experience is the only thing that builds who I am. And the only thing that creates who I am, but his memory of his experience isn't just his memory of the of the physical world. You know, to Augustine, there's almost no difference between his memory of his dreams and his mystical visions and his physical existence. You know, he he blends them all together and says, like, all of these experiences build who I am. It's not just your memories of the physical world that make you. You know, it is also your visions and dreams and all of that stuff. So like right now, like the reality that I experience now and like the experience that I'm having now, um, who knows what parts of that will be significant in my memory in the future. Um, but I do know that like, that I've had vision and dream that have been just as important in, in building who I am. Some of which have had like such incredible emotional impact on me that you know, just even talking about that brings brings shadows of those memories back to me. So I don't know that it matters if right now I am recounting my life on my deathbed. Uh, if so, then then that means that every moment ahead of me is already laid out and has already happened. Um, if but not, that it, doesn't necessarily mean that. I was just going to say that it kind of implies yeah. predestination. <laughs> If you're in a life review. Sure. If I'm in a life review, then it does imply predestination. But, uh, you know, uh, as Rabbi Ira Stone says, it doesn't matter. Predestination doesn't necessarily matter. You have to pretend that predestination doesn't exist so that you can make sure that you are making the best actions with the most conscience 
consciousness possible in every moment. Or, or trust that you'll always do the right thing, right? I don't trust that I'll always do the right thing. Well, I'll trust according that I can, to plan, that I can write as an according to plan. That's not really what his message is. He says that it doesn't matter if predestination exists or not. He, mm. You have to pretend that it doesn't so that you can make, make the right, right decision. I, I understood yeah, what you yeah. said. I'm saying the, okay. op the opposite of that would be to not worry about it because you'll always trust in the fact that you're making the right moves. This is what you ah. are supposed to do. Yeah, I don't really trust that necessarily. I've seen... <laughs> Yeah, I don't trust that. I will constantly strive to better myself so that I can make better decisions. But, but maybe that's what you were predestined to do. Maybe that's your script. You know what I'm saying? Still worrying about it. <laughs> see that? Yeah, the dreamer see loves the dream. Yeah. <laughs> what, what about, okay, so with that said, in this whole idea of, um, for me, it's all like the dreaming self. So uh -huh. I guess it's, and there's no real timeline. There's, it's not, it's not, it's not linear. For there's me. no real time. Yeah. <laughs> and so I really, truly have that sense in me that, and I've always had it. And I think that's probably why I'm terrible with dates and like even how old I am, all this stuff. It's like, it's just so insignificant to me and, and doesn't play a part in my daily life, except when I have to show up for Noxman Day. Um, <laughs> thank you for gracing us with your presence. <laughs> so, Eric, um, what what do you think? Again, these are just this is just us speculating, and that's the juice, the juice in the uh -huh. end speculation. Uh -huh. So, what do you think happens after death? What like after you leave here? Oh boy, I. I have no idea. I have no idea. I know I you don't have any idea, but what are you, what are your, what are your, what do you, what have you ruminated on in the past? Yeah, this, there's not like there's right, right answers. We're, this is, yeah. Oh, I honestly, like I've ruminated on it and thought about it. And I've been like, I don't know if that happens. I don't know. I, I don't know. Uh, like I, I am not convinced of anything. I believe that one thing that I, that I believe is that our constituent parts are never destroyed. You know, we, you know, our, our matter, the, the matter of our body is, might be reduced to its components, but those components continue. The- well, Physics says the, that's true. The, sure, the, but then like the subtle components, like what exists of consciousness or something might be broken down into constituent parts as well. I don't know, I think that's probably true. Um, and redistributed in some way or reincorporated into the divinity in some way. Uh, what about reincarnation? I, um, I personally find reincarnation to be a real tough pill to swallow. Hmm. But at the same time, there seems to be a lot of evidence of that. And maybe there is some way to enable that or some way to like, I don't know. What about it do you find hard to swallow? He's a spitter. Ooh, child. <laughs> oh, 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 oh. Sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's Discord chat <laughs> boiling over into the... Uh, I know, right? <laughs> oh, dear. Um, 
I guess, uh, you know, I guess with stuff like that, like, I just feel like if with extraordinary claims, you have to have something like what is the idea of reincarnation just another one of those things that's supposed to make us feel better about dying? Like, don't worry, you'll come back as a, as like the king of something or you'll, oh, don't worry, you'll come back as like a cat. Like, that'd be cool. You know, I, I wouldn't mind coming back as a cat. Uh, but but what is like what what purpose then does reincarnation serve and what purpose does it serve to us as we go through this life like so many people go through life just having this horrible dread of death and like fighting tooth and nail to to delay it and stave it off and like i would argue that's a learned thing too a learned fear yeah it could be um except that animals fear it as well if they're they and, it's survive it's the survival instinct absolutely but do they yeah, really and, understand and, death and what it is like we do you i don't know, know i don't know either we I barely know. understand it yeah we, i have yeah, no right. idea but but it, so i guess to me um reincarnation a lot of times just feels a little bit too much like a safety blanket like a kind of well uh, okay what don't about worry like... sort of like it can I, can I ask about, one more thing to, just while yes, we're here Jerry, to yeah. flip yeah. that, just to flip the question that Nish asked you, what, what would you like death to be? Oh, I like that one, Jerry. Uh, oof, that's a really good question. I have actually not <laughs> thought about it that hard. Um, I suppose what I would like death to be, I would like to die and you know, even if my consciousness doesn't continue forever, I would like to have a moment of just sort of like ultimate knowledge and being like, oh my God, that's, that's what's going on. And then even if I, if at that point I snuff out, I'm like, that's cool. All my questions just got answered. I had a moment of omniscience and was gone. That'd be, that'd be enough for me. I think that would be boring though, if knowing everything. Yeah, I agree. Well, I think there is. But you don't have any time to, to be bored. You know everything, and then whoosh, you're gone. So <laughs> you don't okay, to... so it's like an epiphany moment, and then gotcha. it's like an orgasm. That's when you die, right? You have an <laughs> orgasm when you die. You learn everything, and then then they do the mind wipe, and you're back in a body. Right, you're just a mess on the sheets. They call it in someone else. In Italian, don't they call it? Isn't there a slang term for orgasm that means like tiny death? Little, the is. little death. The little death, yeah. I think the it's a beautiful death. way yeah, to look yeah. at it, actually. Mm-hmm. And I heard, I've, I've always liked it. I heard someone explain it, too, in an esoteric way that made sense. I don't recall the actual way Gary, it was. Gary, try to recall. I don't remember. It was something about <laughs> that the, um, at, the, at the moment of orgasm, there's a certain type of energy that's released, and that's a creational energy. Maybe it's the Kundalini. Mm-hmm. I don't remember what type it was or what, you know, I think each culture also has a different, uh, different viewpoint on it. But basically when you emit this creative energy, you die a little bit because uh-huh. it's, yeah. you're, you're draining yourself and you have a finite amount of this creative energy. Well, we know this in magic because we we abstain from these things to this part of like at least in ceremonial magic and into the ancients. Mm-hmm. We you know you don't do that. You don't release. And there's still modern. This stuff comes into the modern world where you don't you know like ball players about women make legs weak and all the all this other stuff. 
that goes on uh -huh. before something important you I wonder though awesome. so she's her and, and okay. I do know I do know that not to be crude but in in like certain multi-orgasmic situations women get close to leaving their bodies if they're they can actually leave their bodies Oh baby, I can tell you. Yeah. It is I have been I've been shook out. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So I mean I know I know this happens, okay. So Okay, so I wanted to actually ruminate on the reincarnation thing a bit longer. In in um as we look through the lens of the ancients, it seemed like a lot of the ancient world was there with it that that there was an afterlife there was a continuation mm -hmm. into other lives and as someone that studies these things eric um uh -huh. and is using some of these you know these spells and incantations and um tools mm -hmm. i find that interesting an interesting disconnect with you i don't consider it a disconnect i feel like um you know so so you know like i said like i think that probably our consciousness breaks down and possibly into constituent parts and then those parts probably get reused um and it could be that there are ways that fragments or pieces of consciousness continue on in in new bodies or new lives um i don't think that we have any you know i i, I would be super skeptical of any claim that like the entirety of what it is that needs Maybe the me that is currently in the podcast is not even the same me that it was was at the beginning of it. You know, I mean, consciousness yes. itself, like, like there's a. <laughs> I, this makes me think of all this stuff that's very very difficult to put into words. Uh, but you know, sort of the inter intersection of like consciousness and time. Um, so sure, maybe there is maybe maybe reincarnation is totally possible. What I'm what I'm saying is I think that the popular view of reincarnation um, is a little bit of a safety blanket view. Yeah, especially the New Agey aspect of it. Yeah. Now I really think that maybe there is something to some kind of idea of continuation of of self or consciousness or whatever it is that makes us up. Like that could be totally possible. Um, and I mean, if we're going to talk about like the ancient world, you know, look at, look at Egypt. Like they, their idea of reincarnation was super weird. You know, they, they believed that, that our soul was, was actually six different things that, that, that existed within you. And that at your death, the, I'm, I'm going to get all the names wrong, but like one of them is like the Ka and then there's the Ba. Yes, and then the Ba. And, mm -hmm. and then there's like Ringo and John and yeah, stuff like yeah. that. <laughs> yeah. um, Skinner's like, book lays it all out. It does. Um, but like one part of those, one part of that is like your facade, like your physical appearance and the way that you interact with the world. And that would like remain around as some sort of ghost. But there is no substance to it, right? The, the the soul of the thing, like the other parts of the soul weren't there. Uh, one part of it goes into the underworld and has to get tested, you know, against the the feather of Mott and possibly eaten by a giant alligator. Alligator, and, yeah. And, it's like a rerun the ghost. the cosmos, yeah. Hello, alligator, uh, reptilian. I know, they're in control of everything. <laughs> and the alligator's a mason. Check. <laughs> Wasn't that Ick. Apep? Was Apep the evil alligator in the underworld? I don't remember. Um, and then, um, 
and then there are like all these other parts that have different things to do and so i mean maybe that's even maybe it's possible that there's some fragment some some celestial feather of of the self that continues on in reincarnation maybe it's little you know soul fragments or shards that are so tiny and insignificant that they're almost impossible to pick up most of the time um I don't know. I'm not. I'm not convinced one way or the other, and I'm not. Uh, I'm not ready to commit to yeah. an idea of reincarnation. Yeah, sense? I'm open with all of it. I don't think it's. I think it's for me. That's the best way to be with so much. Anyway, it's just to. Mm -hmm. I understand the idea of it, and I like the idea of it on some levels. Um, mm -hmm. But I'm not. I have no dogma with it. Okay. So let's move into this is um, what is the goal of your magic con right now? What what are you doing? Why are you doing magic? I am doing it to improve myself and to gain knowledge and to understand more. I think those are probably. I think gain knowledge and understand where it might be the same thing. Improve myself and improve my understanding of how everything works. I think those are probably the two best things. Also, there's a, I guess also another element of it is like through improving myself and through understanding more, I help everything be better in the entire creation. Yeah, I think um, I can certainly pull up to that. It, 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 in the end, it's us working on ourselves. Yeah, yeah. But, how can but, that uh, not be helping the collective? Sure, sure. And and I, but I think also like that's something that is uh, mentioned in a lot of uh, ritual, including like you know, uh, Triathemius's method for drawing spirits into crystals, where you, when you have like the prayer of like let's bring this spirit forth. You you include in it like I'm not doing this to hurt anybody. I'm doing this for the for the greater welfare of things, mm -hmm. and I think that that's a really important part. Like the greater welfare of all things is a is a huge part of magic, and I, I and that's something that it took me a long time to kind of wrap my head around. Um, and I came to it, you know, uh, I should have been I should have caught on a little earlier. Feel like when I look back, I'm kind of like, why didn't I realize that sooner? That that would have been a good thing to. Right, I'm the out. same way. Like, I could be like level fifty by now. <laughs> oh, you know? absolutely! I know it's like I and I knew this shit when I was a kid, when I was goofing around, twelve years old, whatever. It's like, a, I know. It's yeah, but you just try to. Hmm? Yeah, and part of that is culturally. Our our culture totally does not teach you to go out and be a good person. It's like you got to get ahead. Yeah, you got to make money. You yeah. gotta, you gotta be a productive member of society, but most of all, you have to get ahead of everybody else. And when you really sort of stop and step back, you're kind of like, I don't really have to get ahead of everybody else. Like, I need maybe like a banana and some <laughs> and a great place to sleep. But exactly. well, doesn't it seem that, like a big redirect? It seems like we're just being redirect. Mm -hmm. Energy is just totally being taken off of. It's distraction. Self. It's managed distraction. Mm -hmm. For sure. Maybe but, not even managed. Yeah. Right. True. I mean, we do true, it. True. We, we, we do, do it ourselves. for ourselves because, because the the alternative, the part where we have to spend time being introspective and trying to improve ourselves, is is painful and 
difficult and maybe the hardest thing that you get to do in the world. I uh, agree. I, I, yeah. I, I remember when I was a kid, when I was younger, I'll say, uh, there wasn't much of the shaping like you described, you know, that you got to get ahead. It certainly wasn't my my parents, mm -hmm. for my parents. In in the world, absolutely. Um, <clears throat> my bigger thing that 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 came back at me like this because I was an atheist, still am pretty much. But people would say, "Well, you're immoral," or "How can you have morals or good morals or or be a good person if you aren't if you don't believe in God?" Which always struck me as like the uh -huh. stupidest question to ask an atheist. But that was more. Well, it's a horrible it's a horrible reason to be a good person, actually. Like, because you're basically I, I, saying then that the reason you're a good person is because if you're to. not, you're going to get punished. Right, right. Yeah. Someone told me to be good. I have to be good or they're going to send me to the room that's full of, full of fire. <laughs> and it's like, that's the worst reason to be good. You're not actually being good. You're just pretending at that point. Like everybody from the, from the most staunch atheist to the most devout religious person, if you're being good, you need to be being good for that sense of goodness being good, or the right. goodness you're right. being yeah out of the out of the essence of goodness it's not more than that though you're not a, a psychopath punishment right right punishment right. Yeah, totally exactly but i think there's also a mentality that goes with some people that just that they want mm -hmm. to be that way or they want to be bad yeah yeah I do you think why. they want to be i mean sometimes i wonder like driven I, to I, be whatever i know i get i definitely know people that seek to do bad to go out and want to hurt people i've i've known these kinds of people in in dark alleyways in my life and um but and it just comes back to that old parable and i don't know where it is lord knows it's probably from the bible you squeeze a lemon you get lemon juice that kind of thing that's always been, in the bible well i you know that i don't know i don't know where it came from yes uh -huh. in the old world. if they didn't anyway, they'd have scurvy but still what about that innate energy aspect of um just your innate energy you know innate. i just know people that are innate they might i know lots of people I, that consider completely unconscious sleepers but they're really good people they're just genuinely good people and everything they do if there's a sense of graciousness and all this just lovely people mm -hmm. and then i know people that you know just seem to want to create pain and strife and they they somehow just seem to be innately of that energy whatever that is i'm not going to characterize it as a bad energy it's part of everything uh yeah i mean i think it's easier for some people to be good i don't know i don't necessarily know why um people that are bad or that like seek to go out and do bad things i I don't know why they do that either. I'm not sure what causes that kind of, I mean, to me, I, I know this is super judgy, but I, to me, it looks like a weakness of character. It looks to me like somebody who is afraid to be good. Like I, and this is a, this is a, a it's totally not tied to a dream or anything, but it is tied to like uh, one of the things that my practice, my magical practice brought me to was this place that I remember, like, I remember it very distinctly. Um, where I, I made a decision. Like, I, I don't think that I was, 
a super bad person. I didn't always do good things and I wasn't like always honest and always, you know, as good as I could be. But I remember sort of like making a decision one day and having this sort of realization like, oh God, you just have to, you just have to like be good. You know, it's not, there's no special thing you have to do or anything. It's just like a, a light switch got flipped and I was like, oh, it's just a decision you make. You're like, oh, I'm good now. I'm going to be good. But that still doesn't address, good. That still I, doesn't I honestly, really, doesn't answer that whole thing of like, I will know you by the fruit you bear. That whole concept I'm getting at. I don't know. I'm not sure. I don't really have a good answer to that. I People are very confusing to me. Other people. Oh, me too. <laughs> I mean, I'm pretty confusing to me too, but other people are super <laughs> yes. confusing. Yes. So they're odd behaviors. <laughs> yeah. <Definitely. laughs> I understand that. It, it, it's it, I ponder these things a lot. I, I, I'm always trying to understand. I understand like through psychology and analysis, you know, things like participation mystique where, you know, the group mentality, right? One person does it, mm -hmm. then three, and then it's likely the whole crowd will. Um, and so I get, I get, I get those things psychologically chewing on them as fodder and, but then when you start parsing out, it's my dog itching. Lucien's playing again. Then um, <laughs> you start parsing out. So we start, stop looking at the crowd as just faceless people. And we start plucking out individuals and we see storylines and likes mm -hmm. and dislikes and all this. And it, it becomes a more detailed painting, if you will, to start seeing faces on people in crowds and start seeing storylines and interactions and um because it, I, f I find it's easy to talk in large broad strokes about groups of people and mm -hmm. that makes gives us a detached judginess that that whole judgy quality can come when we detach ourselves from right so there's yeah. no face um I don't know. I've also wondered, that was just a weird sidetrack. Sorry. I also wondered like, if we look at like the whole Indian thing, Eastern Indian thing and the, the karma and also the reincarnation, mm -hmm. the person. So the scenario here is a person murders another person. Well, what if through a larger scope of timelessness that that was actually coming round the person that got murdered that looks so horrific here and now was actually getting payback well right? i would say in, in that sense uh the murderer is probably also getting payback so both of them are dealing with some sort of karmic leftover one of them yeah. one of them ends up in a place where they're committing some sort of horrific crime that probably stains them for the rest of their life and causes them torment for the rest of their days and the other one gets murdered like they're both having a super bad day nobody's having a good day in that sense so if karma is a real thing then in that sense i would say both of those people are dealing with some karmic uh debt yeah it's interesting like when we do put it put it to that lens or that you know throw on that reel and um is it possible that karma is nothing more than a belief system? Absolutely. And, yes. and, because, Absolutely. Of, and because of that, <laughs> yes. it's real. It instills itself. It may manifest because it's such a widely held belief. Yeah, it could be. Uh, I, I'm pretty ignorant of, um, of 
Hinduism and how stuff like karma and dharma and all that stuff uh, interact. But but I feel like, and I could be totally wrong about this. I feel like that there's this sort of like Western popular image of karma, which is that uh, things that you do are immediately going to be paid back. And then there's this, and then but the original karma was more like you have this kind of like bank account of deeds that affects you your reincarnated it. life, right? Like mm -hmm. You accrue it, and then you have to work it off in your next life. Or it's like a bill. That's yeah. the Hindu version. Of yeah, it. I think it's probably yeah, something so, in between. Yeah, and so like in the you know I, I think that uh, you know we also have like the concept of like a self fulfilling prophecy. Mm -hmm. Yes. So in in a you know, in the Western world, like our religions, our, our hereditary religions, especially Judaism and Christianity, uh, maybe Islam, I don't know, are really obsessed with, with guilt and sort of like the moral weight of your deeds. And, and we have, you know, I mean, now, like a lot of people sort of like shed those traditional religions and embrace sort of, you know, new age religion or alternative religions. But they're just uh, different cages, though. They are, but this concept of um, the, the sort fear of like, and the guilt, yeah, it's it's going away. Yeah, the away. fear and the guilt is it's cultural though, yeah, like it's yeah. built into our culture now, and so they find something else, like this this the westernized idea of karma that encourages them to somehow inspire their own punishment or reward based on the amount of guilt that they're feeling subconsciously. But, I'm but totally talking a, out of my ass. I'm no, but a, I no, I hear you, and it, but that's in a way the karma in that sense is a guilt generator because you worry mm -hmm. about doing things ahead of time it's more of a, a thought crime monitor in that way yeah and it's and it might even be completely subconscious where you know you do something and you're like oh i don't feel bad about what i did I do feel bad about what you did on some level and therefore end up somehow creating a situation where you get punished later on sure but this kind of ties back into magic then in that, in a way, like specifically with the self-fulfilling prophecy, you're really talking about programming your subconscious to make it happen. Oh yeah. So yeah, for sure. Like the it ties into how chaos magic works and like the, exactly. the psychological model of chaos magic. Yeah, I I completely would agree with that. Yeah, it's it's neat how it ties together. So I mean, yeah. it, it just goes to show that religions are just another form of magic. <laughs> oh, but not absolutely. not for you. <laughs> <laughs> do our YouTube viewers, our live viewers, do they ever ask questions? Do they they any, do. Like, I will ask. Yeah. We're about that time right now. So, yeah, let's look at some questions. Um, somebody did ask Wait, before. Jerry, what... Sorry, go ahead. Uh, someone asked what your favorite magical system. I don't remember where it was. My favorite magical system. I don't really have a favorite magical system. Or, or what system. kind I of have... practice, I think, is a way. Oh, um, well, I started off, you know, I think I mentioned earlier that I probably started off with, uh, like, stuff that was sort of like Wicca and then neo-shamanism. Uh, I moved into um, sort of like solitary Golden Dawn based on things like Donald Michael Craig's book. Um, I got really turned off of that when I started studying like hermetic kabbalah more and became really disillusioned with um how kind of shallow it was like you know there's a lot of stuff going on in hermetic kabbalah but it's mostly what i ended up calling like the hoed trap where it's it's all like occupying your brain with like uh 
colors and associations and correspondences and all mm-hmm. the stuff that did nothing to sort of fill in kind of the big vacuous gaps behind the meanings uh, that, that I was seeing. Um, and that might have been something that could have been solved by actually like, joining the Golden Dawn, but instead I started looking into older stuff. So first I started off with Agrippa. I started looking at kind of like Renaissance and medieval Kabbalah. Um, so I guess uh, nowadays I'm mostly, everything kind of combines together as you do it. So the stuff that I do, I guess, is an amalgamation of all the stuff that I've learned in the past. Um, but what's probably influencing me the most or driving me the most currently is um, Renaissance magic, in particular, like Renaissance grimoire stuff. And then um, I just started working with the Greek magical papyri, which we we talked about earlier. So uh, I anticipate that will be influencing me a lot. Um, yeah, the PGMs are neat. I looked. Yes. I, I have Skinner's book, and I'm waiting for his uh, practical PGM to come out someday. He says he's working on I, it. I wouldn't wait. Yeah, I, I, I've heard him talk about working on it too, but I, I wouldn't wait. I would dive in. Like, there's yeah. so much cool stuff in there. Yep. You just gotta, you just gotta experiment. It'll either work or it won't. You know what Plus, I mean? Plus, is his book I, makes I, it, it is makes it easy. I mean, not easy, yeah. but easy to get around. I understand. Mm-hmm. I know. I know. I, I have to read it another two or three times before I'll, I'll be ready to do it. Yeah, well, I'm I, I have that feeling too. I, I'm not reading the PGM straight through. I mean, I am reading the PGM straight through, but mostly I read Skinner's book straight through. Yes. And I'm like, oh, look at this. You know, spells yes. that have to do with uh, uh, ensouling statues. I'm going to look at those up. And, <laughs> yes. uh, you know, so I, I find the ones that I want to do and I, I study those and I combine it with, you know, techniques that I've learned in the past or things that I've learned in the past. Um, I heard an interview with the guy, thing. I forget who it was though, talking about ensouling uh-huh. statues. It might have been Gordon White even, that mm-hmm. he, I don't remember if he was suggesting or surmising or could it be kind of question about the statues of the gods were created to actually house their, their, their ent- that, that entity. I think that if we look like at... Like in ancient Rome, passage- ancient Greece. Um, I don't know about ancient Roman, ancient Greece, but I think in Egypt, uh, in particular, we have um, some pretty good evidence from from extant texts. Uh, in particular, I'm thinking about uh, the Asclepius, where there's a whole section about like how statues were built to sort of like hold um, uh, elements or, the, or or being sold by the gods. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think we see a little bit about that in the Corpus Hermeticum as well. Um, uh, <laughs> And the funny thing is, like, you also get the sense in the Asclepius that uh, that part of it is sort of like you make these statues that can move, and the movement shows that they have been ensouled. Uh, there's a passage that specifically says something like, "Everything that moves under its own power contains a soul," which oh, I thought was that's kind of cool. intense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it is pretty intense. Um, so, uh, every remote control car you've ever owned as a soul that's hilarious every vibrator (laughs) every vibrator has a soul oh my god oh lord (laughs) there's something about that that reminds me of Gollum too right we thought of that too it totally is yeah and and, um yeah for sure so that's gonna be that's gonna be interesting in coming years as robots become more common and uh, that sort of thing um, well, if, uh, if you've ever read, I think it's, I forget which book it was, but it was Heinlein, Robert A. Heinlein, Heinlein Robert uh-huh. Heinlein. In, Oh, I've read everything he wrote. 
actually. I, I think it's in Stranger in a Strange <laughs> Land. But uh, there's, a, uh-huh. there's a passage in there where he describes uh, where, uh, uh, the thought that a, a complex electrical system, electromechanical system, can house a consciousness if it grows to a certain point. Oh, yeah. Well, uh, Asimov talks about that with the positronic brains in, um, yeah, in his right. uh, robot detective series. Mm-hmm. And I think Heinlein discusses it a little bit. Isn't that in The Moon is, the moon is a Harsh Mistress? Maybe. I don't remember which, with, I said, uh, I don't remember which book it was. With uh, Mike, the artificial intelligence that lives on the moon. Is that the one with um, the, the AI named Solace, too? Oh, I have no idea. I don't remember. I only, I've read all of them, but I only a couple of them have I read more than once. But uh, yeah, I, I know, know they're old. I know. No, it's just an int- interesting thought if you like apply it to, say, the internet. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yes. Yes, indeed. And then, I mean, know. we've discovered, we've since discovered that there is nothing that does not move. You know, everything moves. We just can't always see it. <clears throat> right. Um, but if you, if you think about like quantum computers, Mm-hmm. And the processors in those, the scientists or the developers say, are, is communicating with another dimension, essentially, right? But yeah. What, yeah. What if what if it's just the the CPU is so complicated or so complex and it's electrical mechanical that it has a consciousness in it, and they're not really talking to another universe; they're just talking to one other aspect of that consciousness. That could be. Yeah. I, I I've even I think I've even read some stuff that's. Uh, Let's hypothesize that our that our own minds, uh, that thought in our own minds, um, takes advantage of uh, the quantum nature of matter, which is cool, but and it makes sense, but it, I, I don't I don't get it. Uh, and th- it also goes along. Well, it doesn't go along. It kind of does. I mean, okay. What I'm thinking is that earlier you had said something about uh, non-local consciousness, and uh, mm-hmm. we're just transceivers, basically. I'm fully on board with that. So in that sense, maybe some of your ideas and thoughts aren't actually yours, but they're everyone's, and you're just tuned into it, right? I feel like I'm probably stealing most of my thoughts from Nish right now. You might be. <laughs> Damn you, Eric. <laughs> but that's kind of what... That's, I forgot, I forgot now. <laughs> you're a vampire. I knew it. I forgot what you said before that reminded me of that, but it's the same thing, just a different state a different way. Yeah. Yeah, we talked about uh, you're probably um, referencing what we talked about uh, when Nish asked me about the nature of consciousness and what I thought that was. No, I was referring just now. You just said something that. that oh, yeah. Yeah. So. Oh, OK. <laughs> it's all good. So wait, what about our YouTube? Uh, yeah, I'll look uh, back if we have any more watchers. questions. Do they have any more cool questions? Let's let's questions, see what, they, let's see what we got. I'm going to bed. Good night. Uh, what a wimp. <laughs> yes, so what question is that? Oh, um, I know someone asked me earlier if you knew anything or how much you'd researched MK Ultra. Uh, nearly zero. I I know that it existed. I um I read a few little things about it, but I know pretty much nothing about it. I'm I'm not super big on conspiracy theories anymore. That's what that I was, told them. Yeah. Uh, where? I like laughing at them. I think that most of them are very very entertaining. And I love that we spend a lot of time getting obsessed over things that we have so little control over. Um, well, that's and but that's a big thought because mm-hmm. yeah, those those things. But then there's you can apply that to a lot of stuff in life in general. So Lee wants that's to know true. what your opinion of 
Enochian magic was? Um, is. I find Enochian magic to be super interesting. I haven't explored it a whole lot. I've used a little bit um, just in whatever, I can't remember, the, like the, the Watchtower ritual, whatever it is that Donald Michael Craig teaches in his book. Um, I haven't explored it a whole lot beyond that. I've read a, I've read some stuff about Dee and Kelly. Um, I think that their system is incredibly complex. And uh, because of that, it's a little too much work for me to really get into, um, especially with the stuff that you read that has to do with like, uh, you have to do everything perfectly. Perfect, yeah. Yeah. I'm totally intimidated by it. I've got all anything that was published by Johnny. Uh -huh. All that I've got all the material. I just am completely intimidated by doing any working. Oh, I do. would say that Sorry. I don't find it intimidating, but I find it exhausting to think about doing. I'm like, oh my god, you have to do what? Oh, you have Maybe to do I'm what? Maybe I'm intermingling oh, that. Yeah, oh, yeah. I could be. It's not that I'm. Yeah, I'm definitely not afraid to do stuff, but it looks yeah. too tedious. But one me. could it, argue really, that really you guys tedious. are too lazy to deserve that type, that level <laughs> of magic. I will right, totally right. wear that jacket. Oh, so would I. I'm just saying, you have to earn it. I mean, if you want to do it, you have to earn it. And that's yeah, part of it. I, and I mean, I guess uh, I'm not sure what, uh, what is left to be gotten out of the Enochian system. Um, I don't know what people are necessarily doing with it now, but, uh, Going you know, insane, to probably. me, yeah, well, <laughs> you know, I mean, I have my own... You know, there's there's elements of my own practice that involve like uh, conjuring spirits and speaking to spirits and that sort of stuff, which um, which started out from a from a system and then evolved as I learned more from them. And and you know, I mean, maybe someday somebody will look back at whatever I've written down and be like, oh god, the Arnasonian system is so tedious. That, oh my god, Eric. that brings up all you got to do is. All you got to do is spit in a can of Pepsi and say these magic words and everything's fine. <laughs> no, beer and a can of beer. So, so you just maybe, maybe you're asking, I got a question now. So okay. um, what have you learned from your spirits that has altered what you've learned about magic? Where, where have they turned you in another path or added or augmented, improved even, or hurt? Uh. I would say that a lot of it is a lot of that sort of stuff is is very personal, and I would encourage people to sort of figure that out on their own. But um, I don't. I don't need thing, specific examples. I, yeah, I wasn't. I can I can give a few examples though. Um, you know, if I am performing a large working or a, or a ritual that's like tied to a particular planet or is is doing something specific, and I have a spirit that I've already that I've already have a relationship with that is somehow tied to that i will ask it for advice and be like am i doing this right am i doing this right and they will help um there's nothing like permanent nothing's altered your practice um a little bit i guess for instance i don't draw a circle on the floor um i have ex i've had enough i've you uh, have protection very, you have protection built in <laughs> I have protection built in, mm -hmm. um, but I mean, most of it has to do with uh, the amount of time and investment I put into other workings mm -hmm. before that, right? Like I didn't actually start doing the whole like spirit summoning thing um, until I had already been doing like 
magic ceremonial magic for probably at least 10 or so years maybe more maybe more than that mm -hmm. um so i already had other techniques and other practices that were ready and strong enough or whatever that that when i started working on it there were you know the the feedback i got or the results i got showed that i was doing it right or right for me does that make sense that does make sense yeah and i wasn't okay I, I don't want I didn't I didn't want to make you defensive about it. I was curious. I'm really looking for what the what do the spirits think of the ways people use magic? You know, like do they laugh and like okay, we'll do it this time, but you know what I mean? Oh. Like it, how would they alter your like practice it to totally and, depends yeah. on which one you're talking to and mm -hmm. what they're tied to and how they're related to things. Like some of, you know, some of them might not give a shit. Some of them might get too interested. Some of them might, um, you know, it, it's... It's a slippery slope. Yeah, it's... They're as varied as human beings mm -hmm. um, or or something like that. <laughs> that you miss. They're as varied as AIs. Yeah, they're as varied as artificial intelligences. Mm -hmm. Okay, thoughts on chaos? Do you have any thoughts on chaos magic and why it doesn't get mentioned as much these days as 20, 10 to 20 years ago? Uh, I do, actually. I think that one of the reasons that chaos magic doesn't get mentioned as much is because um, the paradigm of chaos magic is super strongly tied into the psychological model of magic. Um, and the psychological model has really been falling out of favor over the last couple of decades. Uh, I'm really happy to see it go myself. Um, uh, I bought into it at the beginning and um and honestly like i barely use chaos magic I've, I've used it in the past to great effect but it's not there's a lot of stuff in chaos magic that's just tied to thaumaturgy right which mm -hmm. is the the ability to like make changes in the physical world right. um but it's always sort of framed in this idea of like oh yeah you do this thing and it's going to embed it in your subconscious and that hi jerry um we're talking about, about spirits and what he thinks they are and the nature of spirits and then then she tried to trap me in some afterlife talk oh, it's, it's yeah totally that's, a, that's a good question i am curious what your thoughts on spirits are and and then i want to um, circle back about what jake, jake stratton kent says about his thoughts Okay. Um, well, so I honestly, you know, like I was, like I was just saying that with Nish, I, I haven't, I don't have a really strong opinion of that yet, except that I feel they need to be treated like they're external entities. Um, but I do think that some of the spirits or things that I've, that I call spirits that I've interacted with are parts of me. Um, and then Nish was asking about how this might tie into my thoughts on the afterlife. And I, like, I haven't done a whole lot of exploration of that, so I don't know. But I do know that like in Ashin Shasan's book, Journey Through Giant Blue Book. Yes. It's a great book. Um, he, some of the spirits he contacts and has conversations with are like, I used to be a person. And then this bizarre thing happened to me. And now I'm a blah, 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 blah instead. Um, mm -hmm. I personally have not had that experience or that conversation or that input um but i also haven't looked for it so i don't i don't know i i'm still i'm still kind of new to the spirit stuff and figuring out what they are i'm more interested in yeah i guess i haven't really i haven't really explored what their nature might be mostly because i'm not sure that i would be able to 
get a good answer yet. Maybe someday. Yeah, they won't tell you. Or if they do tell I me, do I think might, it. I might not be able to understand it, right? Or, or, like it's, right. Or yeah. When it's a good it. practice to treat them as external, just as a precaution, and also mm -hmm. that allows one to garner a, 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 the dialogue. So even if it is an aspect of yourself, what it is mm -hmm. is you are you are in in dialogue with yourself that aspect, and yeah. so that can only be good. Yeah, for sure. Hopefully. Well, I mean, it can be dark, certainly, but <laughs> there's, yeah. you know, you get it out and you look at it via a projection of something. Mm -hmm. I think it was Gordon yeah. White who asked him what he thought they were. Jack, I'm sorry, Jake Stratton Kent. Uh huh. And he said he thought they were the stars. Oh, interesting. Mm. Which is a beautiful way of looking at it. Um, maybe they are like talking to the stars. Mm hmm. I thought it was next, really nice. Next is dancing with the stars. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, thank head. you. <laughs> and Venus, Venus is doing a tango. I've right. spent uh, I've spent far too long um, in the jungles of Costa Rica once, and while oh, I was this there, this sounds juicy. It's you're gonna be super disappointed. <laughs> while I was there. <laughs> I spent a lot of time watching television because it was fairly boring and 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 it was super hot and sweaty all the time. That's terrible. Uh, one of the only television shows in English was Dancing with the Stars. Oh my god. So I did watch possibly a whole season of Dancing with the Stars. Oh, Eric. You had no books? <laughs> Jeez. I ran out. I ran out of books. There was, oh there my was goodness. No new books. That is a version of hell. It was a <laughs> no books, and you're stuck with Dancing with the Stars. Ay, ay, ay. I don't know what I did wrong there. I think I was uh, karmically punishing myself. But... Yeah, that was some bill paid. <laughs> Jesus. I'm doing better. Doing better now. Yes, yes, you are. All right. Do we have any more questions, Cher? Yes. Oh, uh, yes. Here we go. Okay, Lee, you've asked too many questions. Please stop. Oh, wait. Who's Lee? Hi, Lee. Lee, Lee wants to. <laughs> Lee would love to talk to you for hours and hours. Lee would like to know your thoughts on, on something, which I'll ask after this one. Do you like weird fiction? Oh, mm. man. I love weird fiction. Yes. Examples? Yeah, give us an example. Oh, man. Um, well, it's hard to know what other people consider weird, but uh, probably my favorite weird fiction recently is uh, that I that I finished reading is um, uh, John Crowley's Egypt series, which just totally blew my mind. I loved it. Um, I also really enjoyed. Oh God, I'm having a difficult time remembering this guy's name. Uh, Fowler, who wrote the French Lieutenant's Woman. Yes. Oh God, I love that book. Some of his novels are just really weird, and I love them. Um, I also just recently, a couple years ago, I got this book from when I was at the uh, Esoteric Book Conference in Seattle called The Hole Behind Midnight, and it was about this strange, weird, magical world that I thought was super brilliant. I really, really liked that. That title is uh, amazing. Oh man, it's such a good book. Oh, I would, midnight. Love I would Any relation to Alistair, this John guy? No, no, he's um, he's pretty amazing. Actually, uh, 
if you want to get a good good uh, dose of him the first ever episode of the culture podcast is an interview with him oh, he's okay. brilliant he's he's incredible oh yeah um, i think i might have heard that ryan's awesome yeah. by the way oh he is he yes is. I, I i like that guy what else i mean so much fiction is weird um especially when you pay closer attention to it it just gets more and more bizarre you know i mean i've read uh illuminatus trilogy more than once and i've owned it probably a dozen times but it's one of those books where you're always like have you read this and nobody's ever going to finish the damn thing it's freaking humongous right so you either read it when you were super stoned in college or you will never read it and you'll just borrow it from somebody and it will sit there like a karmic guilt bucket on your shelf forever where you always look at it and be like that book is huge and super weird. I'm never going to read it. And I'm never going to give it back. Oh, man. I read it for the so, first time when I was 12 or 13. And oh. <laughs> a lot of times after that, right? That explains everything, Jerry. Oh, it does. The- that explains a lot. <laughs> <laughs> so what do you think the squirrel means? Like it opens with the squirrel. What is that about? I haven't read it in a long time. I can't tell you. The only That's what I was going to say is the only thing I remember from that. I mean, I remember the storyline, but the thing uh-huh. that stands out most in my mind is the the paragraph about the leader of the United States and how he can achieve orgasm in the mouth of a skilled prostitute in 90 seconds. And then like three or four oh, wow. pages later, there's a, they're talking about the leader of China, exact uh-huh. same paragraph. Yeah. And then later on a little more, there's the leader of Russia, exact. It's like three or four times. Yeah. He, he, uh, Wilson the power the of repetition. Yeah, absolutely. But it was showing so, the, the puppetry also in that, they're all, oh, yeah. they're all straw men. They're just, mm-hmm. they're all the same. So here's, here's one of my favorite things about fiction in general. So like if a piece of fiction is good enough and influential enough, it ends up being sort of considered literature, right? And I love reading literature that ends up being weird where, where you're like this, this piece of fiction is so important that it's been considered like a foundational element of our culture. And and that stuff, like that literature, is oftentimes really, really worth going to explore because a lot of it just has some super bizarre stuff in it. Um, possibly the best example is the end of Grapes of Wrath. Mm. Like the closing scene of Grapes of Wrath. Mm-hmm. You read the last page of Grapes of Wrath and your, your, your first thought after that is like, where's the rest of the book? Did they like rip pages out? <laughs> like, did this book really just end on some lady who just had a miscarriage nursing some starving old man in a barn like that's the last scene weird i i have that one on my shelf i I noticed that yeah uh, almost every book i had to read because it was a classic or whatever from school Mm -hmm. was was terrible i really didn't enjoy them as much as the other books i was reading and nor did i but i mean a lot of like pride and prejudice i would say was probably the best that was a classic that that fit the description it's, mm-hmm. really, it's really good but there are some other classic ones like you go back to victorian fiction i, I actually really enjoy victorian um fiction because there are all of these like hidden gems that just sort of scrape scrape away at like the the weird underbelly of victorian society where you're like what the hell is going on in this book um what's the book with uh svengali in it trilby Trilby, yes. for instance, yes. is a great book because there's this whole story going on, but in the background, there's this like hypnotist mind controlling the main character. <laughs> and it's a friggin' weird ass tragedy that nobody ever talks about now. Like, well, you'll hear the word Svengali tossed around, but nobody really knows what yeah, it means. Yeah, right. Um, Vanity Fair is another good one. Like, Vanity yeah, Fair. Yeah, oh, that's dark. 
nobody is a good person mm-hmm. in that book. It's very dark. Like, it's, a, it's a book full of <laughs> shitty people doing shitty mm-hmm. things to each other in Victorian society, all being super proper and blah, 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 blah. And it's like, and that's literature. But the, see that this is what's great about context to time and a period. The Victorian uh-huh. period was completely repressed. And so all this dark stuff yeah. was seeping out in the literature, in the furniture, mm-hmm. in the clothing. I mean, it was just, and, and we have the birth of that whole spiritual movement. All of it was just seeping out anywhere it could while they were maintaining mm-hmm. being proper and corseted and, that's what made it so juicy that period oh, yeah. there's a, sure. a new show or uh, i think it's a new show on netflix called the frankenstein chronicles oh yeah i watched a couple episodes of that yeah it's, it looked pretty that's good victorian-ish dark, yeah, you got the sure. whole dark underbelly of child trafficking going on or whatever the hell's going on i haven't gotten that far in it but but was yeah. that written in the victorian period or is it written oh, no, is it a period piece it, okay it's, it's a period yeah. piece it's new it is yeah. but it centers around mary shelley so in a way. Yeah. I haven't yeah. watched it. So far, it's kind of centering around. But it. still, the stuff of the period is where you get to see all that. Uh-huh. Right. But I think a lot of a lot of Frankenstein was allegory for what was going on in the period. Oh, yeah. Definitely. So, with the interaction of the detective in the story and Mary Shelley herself, he's finding mm-hmm. out this stuff from her, not the book. There's another, there's another author I want to mention, and I'm having a really difficult time remembering his name, but I think I have one of his books. I remember reading a really good book. I think it was, I want to say it was Neil Stevenson, but it was called, I think it was called The, the Difference Engine. There. Oh, that was uh, Bruce Sterling. Bruce Sterling, thank you. Yeah, that was a good book about Charles Babbage. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Actually, I think it was maybe Sterling and... Someone um, else. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like... Um, uh, Gibson. Gibson. Gibson, Gibson, right, yes. I no. think they were working together on that. Yes. Okay, the other author I want to mention is John Banville. Um, and he's written a number of really fascinating books, but uh, the ones that I really love are sort of his historical fiction ones, which take um, really influential people, sometimes scientists and stuff, and he just makes this whole world about him. And they end up being pretty weird and pretty dark, but uh, those are really worth looking into. In particular, the two that I think I enjoyed the most were um, uh, Kepler and Dr. Copernicus. So go look those <laughs> up, people. Enjoy those books. Oh, you just reminded me again. There's another thing on Netflix, or it might be on Amazon, I don't remember. It's called like uh, Jonathan Norell. Oh, man, I forgot it. It's about these two... Um, oh yeah, that's based on a book, Doctor uh, uh, Jonathan Strange and Doctor Norell. Yes, excellent, really yes. excellent. I oh, love yeah. book nerds. Hello, oh, yeah. good night. That, that <laughs> book, that book was incredible, uh, and the, the the TV series that they made out of it was pretty good too. It was awesome. Um, I'm looking forward to it. Well, you know, it's just a little synchro, might not really synchro, but the the first trick that Norell does is animate those statues. Oh, that's oh, right. Oh, yes. Ooh. There we have connected. it, right? Every, as as Eric has a swig of wine. We'll just we'll just bring I'm the show full circle and call it a night. How's I'm that? just pretending. This works for me. Um, wait, are there any more questions? I want to make sure that people get a chance to ask their weird questions. I asked for last call, and I think I asked you the last one. Okay, cool. Great. Beware foundational literature. Yes, I agree. No, definitely. Just beware. Wake up. That's a good bumper sticker. (laughs) Beware foundational literature. Yeah, someone's someone's (laughs) talking about how much they hated Catcher in the Rye, and that's the kind of crap literature that we had to read, like that. And 
That's not even a weird book. Throw on uh, Walden Pond. God, what a horrible book. Anyway, <laughs> Eric, uh, would you like to uh, plug? Whatever they call that. Plug stuff. What do you have yeah. going on, Eric? Oh. Oh, well, I've got a podcast, My Alchemical Bromance, which is about beer and the occult. Um, I'm on Twitter as Arnemancy, A-R-N-E-M-A-N-C-Y. I'm on Steemit as Reverend Eric. Um, and that's possibly everything. All right. Thank you guys for having me on. Thanks for joining us. It's been an awesome talk. It's yeah. been a great pleasure and big love to the chat. Of course, you all know I'm not out in the chat. Um, but thank you, Eric. This has been a great pleasure. And thank you, Jerry. And thank you, Nish. And thank you, everyone watching. And uh, stay tuned. Or next week, we've got, I believe we have Kalindal next week. That should be interesting. Yay. Yeah. Looking forward to talking to you. All right, everyone. All right. Have a great night. And thanks for tuning in. Take